Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome back to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast thank you so much for joining us here on monday january the 21st 2019 for episode number 114 we are here to romp you through the world of retro wrestling i am of course joe Morata, alongside the one and only michael quinn how you doing there michael howdy welcome back to the show michael yeah we're back baby we're back and thank you guys so much for being with us another episode another episode here this will be a fun one we're gonna romp you through the world of retro wrestling we have some cool topics in store for you but before we get to any of that, I want to remind you, if you have technology like Twitter, you can go on Twitter and find us there at OVP Podcast. It can be a fun time there. You can also email us if you use that at OVPpodcast at gmail.com. That is OVPpodcast at gmail.com. But Quinn, the best place if you want to interact with me, with Quinn, and a bunch of hundreds of other retro wrestling fanatics, Quinn, is over on Facebook. Yes, uh, Facebook.web slash foot slash PC. It's a good (laughs) website that you can use with your PC or tablet or whatever. Or Mac, right? Yeah, maybe your iPhone, Android phone. um, Yep. But to find it, you have oh, to yes, go. Right, first right. of all, you have to open your Facebook app. You type in the search bar, Our Vantage Point, Death Retro Wrestling Podcast. And you hit the button, and then stuff happens with servers and things. I, I don't really know how it all works. The internet but, is a series of tubes. Yeah, it, things go down the pneumatic tubes. Right. And then the request pops up in a, you know, how like when you have the bank. The bank capsule. Yeah, the bank capsule. <laughs> it says, I want to be part of the group. And, and then, then it says approved. It comes yeah, back to you. Yeah, this is all after you hit the button. Right, of course. So, yeah, but all these pneumatic it's a great time. You know, it's amazing the system that the internet is. <laughs> how they have little worker bees, like mm-hmm. people just taking these requests all the time. I don't know. Well, it's, we can thank Al Gore for inventing it, obviously. Yeah, a system of pneumatic tubes. That's right. Invented by Al Gore. <laughs> Over on our Facebook group, invented by Al Gore as well. You can hang out with me and Quinn and a bunch of other guys, like I said, and we talk about the retro wrestling. We post questions to each other. We post funny pictures. And anyone of any wrestling background is welcome here. It's the Ellis Island of Facebook groups. You know, we like to talk about the WWF, maybe the WCW, maybe obscure promotions, ECW, Maybe a little current wrestling. You know what's funny is we're thinking about this whole internet concept, right, on this yeah. show. The way we're thinking about it, I feel like we're thinking about it like if the Flintstones like, yeah. had the internet, like that's how it would work. I think you're right, Quinn. Yeah. That's a very valid point. So come on over and check out our prehistoric group over there. Yeah. Facebook group. I mean, it is a retro podcast. It is. We even cover the prehistoric age of wrestling. We do. Those pictures they recently found on the wall from years ago, yeah. but it was Ric Flair. Ric Flair was on there yeah. against Caveman Dave or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, folks, go join the group. Really, it'll be a fun time. Later on in the show, we'll have more information about our Patreon. We do have one at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. And if you use Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, why don't you shoot us a five-star review or whatever star review, but preferably five. And later on in the show, we'll have some information about our friends. But, Quinn, this season, what we've been doing is taking something that was good at one point and Mm -hmm. then discussing the downfall of it. We've done Saturday Night's Main Event. We talked about the jobber squash matches. And last week, we talked about a wrestler. That was your pick, the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Maniac. Yep. This week is my pick, and I wanted to talk about, Quinn, the rise and fall, essentially, of the WWF 
Intercontinental Championship. Uh, the salad days of the Intercontinental <laughs> title were wonderful, but then oh, they were. the 1990s happened, and that wasn't good. No, that wasn't good. Now, yeah. obviously, we all know the story behind the IC title is that Pat Patterson won a grueling tournament in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I mean, that's where traditionally tournaments take place in the World Wrestling Federation. Right. I, Buddy I'm, Rogers won his WWF title there, too. One of the only ones I think that didn't take place in Rio de Janeiro, I would say, is like the European title, because remember that was in like Germany or and something, US. and it was a horrible raw. <laughs> yes. And like, but yeah, most title tournaments take place down there. It's a hot spot. So the real story, obviously, is that WWF had had a regional title known as the North American title, and they simply renamed it in 1979 to the Intercontinental title. Now, they claim there was a South American champion. That's hell. Yeah, that, that was somehow in the tournament or something. <laughs> that they unified with the North American. Well, maybe that explains the Rio de Janeiro <laughs> right, end of it. Right. It's like, well, we had a tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Do it at a neutral spot in Brazil. Who doesn't give a shit? Right. And then we put the North American champion in the tournament. In so South therefore, America. we would figure out who's the champion of both. <laughs> and it was Pat. Patterson is is always mentioned anytime his name comes up in WWF programming, like ever. You know, the first Intercontinental Champion. Yeah. The Intercontinental Champion represents a lot of money and a lot of prestige. He didn't hold it long, and uh, eventually Ken Patera became the first big one. Now, in the early days of the title, you had your guys like Ken Patera, Greg Valentine, Pedro Morales, Don Morocco. It was an okay title for the first yeah, few years. From what, I'm, from what I'm seeing, just of some of the 82, I mean, unfortunately, it's during the reign of Pedro. Yes. It, well, it's an interesting title. It doesn't seem to pop out at you or Correct. anything. Like, there's nothing really special about it. It's just like, yep, it's another champion. It's another title that's not as important. And obviously, the Intercontinental title was the secondary singles championship in the World Wrestling Federation, the world title being number one. Mm -hmm. But I would say, Quinn, that the real peak of the IC title started around 84, 85 with the Valentine Tito Santana feud, which was very well regarded, and some yeah. good brawls in that. I, you know, you could trace back a couple of other things, maybe like Ken Patera's reign. It's like that very was good, like yeah. unique because you are looking at the champion. I told Pat Patterson that I was going to destroy him for what he conceived. He said that he was unbeatable. Well, you were a fool, Patterson. And Morocco wasn't bad. Yeah, Morocco wasn't bad either, but again... Pedro dragged that whole shit yeah, down I, for I, a while. Yeah, definitely Pedro. But I would agree that it really became prominent from the Valentine-Tito feud. That's kind of like the first thing that mattered. First big one. That was the central feud at the time of the first WrestleMania. They didn't face each other at WrestleMania. Which is weird. I, yeah, I know. There's a lot of weird choices at <laughs> WrestleMania, the first one, which we'll go over we'll soon. Be, that'll be coming up next but month, I, yeah. like, no world title match always <laughs> boggles my mind. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So then, of course, Randy Savage gets it from Tito and the fateful day in the Boston Garden of February of 86. And yeah. that is really the crest, I think, of the wave was when Savage won it. There's about five, six, seven, eight years now where it's really good, starting yeah. with Savage. Oh, look at this. Oh, he didn't miss that time. He, he throws that right into Santana's face. We got a new champion. I can't believe it. We got a new Intercontinental Champion, Monsoon. He just threw it outside the ring, Jess. Whatever it was. You know, oddly enough, all triggered by Danny Davis's khaki pants, <laughs> yes, which course. somehow is nefarious, according to Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> Savage and Steamboat, of course, have a classic match for the title at WrestleMania 3. That's like one of the heights of that belt during that period of time. I, I still say it's one of my favorite matches ever, period. Right. And, I, and you know what? That 
is the first match in the Intercontinental title like history where I think the the worker belt label was put on it. Yeah, label or stigma, perhaps some because might call it. that match is one of the best wrestled match of its time. A lot of people look back to it as like, this is kind of where modern wrestling started. Yeah, or at least a huge inspiration. At least on the, I, I think on the mainstream level. Cause in after, North America, anyway. After that match... Well, it wasn't like immediate. It wasn't like the next day on Superstars or something. Like there was just yeah, there was just like matches like that, right? But the point was is that this example had been set, and now like that was like what good matches were considered, and bad matches yeah. were like fat guys clubbing at each other, right. which was every match before that. At <laughs> least WWF in, anyway, like, WWF and mostly the mainstream. Yes. I mean, that was like that was kind of what wrestling was thought to be, it, which is true. Uh, then Honky Tonk Man did something really cool with the belt. He was so successful as an Intercontinental Champion in '87 and '88 that they headlined B shows with him because people just wanted to see him get his ass kicked, and they did this for over a year. Yep, this was a different approach to the belt. Yep. This wasn't a workers' approach to the belt. This it was heel holding it now yeah so this is like this is the interesting part of the intercontinental title is that it didn't really lose its worker stigma during that no no it just kind of like now it added a bit of flair like okay so now the intercontinental title not only is it like good matches and it's important but there's stories to it right. and like you know like feuds and and there's jerks who and, hold it and, and people are gunning for yeah, the guy it, holding it it did seem like one of the main themes of the intercontinental title during this time period was like that a heel would like kind of hold the belt hostage and yeah. you have all these like good wrestling faces like trying to take it off right of them. like this beefcake a bunch of people Mr. during Perfect. that period of time mr Perfect. Yeah, yeah a lot of different guys gunning for that belt and then warrior has it we covered him last week you know it's weird i always think this and maybe it's just perception for whatever reason at that point in time in his career i always perceived him more as like athletic rather than like a magical force or whatever. Yeah, he was just a power athlete. Right. And like, again, that I don't know, it like fed into like making the Intercontinental title seem more legitimate, Absolutely. even though his matches stunk. But like, no, I mean, yeah, good ones with Rude, as right. we've talked about. Yeah. And that's another great example of the title mattering. You yeah. Know, this big feud for the IC title with Warrior and Rude, or the big feud between Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect in 91 yeah. for it. I would say this whole period, like you said, from like 87 or into the mid 90s, into the mid 90s. The one thing the Intercontinental title had also, to me, is that it had the ability to move rather than the world title, where the world title would, like, you know, I was pretty much on somebody for a year or yeah, two. Yeah, back then, sure. Like, and, you know, that was that was going to be the deal. The Intercontinental title had some movement, yeah. right? And it was it seemed like it was always a threat. I mean, the freaking Mountie won it at one point. <laughs> like, now, in this match, Bret Hart went into the ring against his doctor's advice. And unfortunately for Bret Hart, he lost this match. You know sure what I mean? Did. Like, yes, I, I'm absolutely. just saying it's like it seemed like this belt could move and it was plausible because the competition was perceived as so great. And I'd say maybe another height, a later height in the 90s for the IC title was Bret Hart Bulldog at SummerSlam. You know, yep. that was a, a fantastic match. Michaels had a good enough run with it in 93, yeah. 94, I or like, 93. I would like to say about the Bulldog and Bret, yeah. I, I, that is one of the rare times that the Intercontinental title main evented a mm -hmm. pay-per-view. Yep. I don't even know if that's ever happened since then. I can't think of it off the top of my head yeah. at the moment, but I mean, that was a big deal, that match. And then even into the 90s, you had your Razor Ramon, great Intercontinental champion, mm -hmm. the perennial, like, yeah. the quintessential mid-90s intercontinental champion. Yep. And Ramon, again, was a great worker at that point in time. Right. You know, the stigma still was there, and you had guys kind of passing the torch. Yep. You'd said Shawn Gold Michaels. Dust, yeah, so, Shawn yeah. Michaels. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett had a honky-esque run with it. Even Triple H, you know, as much as we crap on him, like, yep. he, the, it felt natural that 
you know, a guy like that would have it. Would have the Intercontinental title? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, where would you say the downfall started? I've always maintained around 1998. Well, you always say it's when the the belt, like, <laughs> they remodeled it or whatever yes. they did to it. In the spring of 98, <laughs> Vince McMahon decides that they want to make their own belt designs and no longer use uh, Dave Milliken's or, or whatever his name is, uh, Reg Park's belt designs. Mm-hmm. So the IC title, the classic design that we had seen since 1985, is no more. Bye. Bye. And then they rebranded into this horrible looking thing, but it coincides with the title not mattering anymore. You know what? I always feel like the last time it truly was like this belt freaking matters was when The Rock and uh, Triple H. H. Yeah, like the, the sum- that's like kind of like the that's last it. like holy shit! Like here, that is a big match too. Like big ladder match, big ladder match for the belt mm-hmm. and. You know, they always tried to recapture it. There'd been a lot of intercontinental ladder matches like after that, but yep. it never was like that was kind of the last time, right? That was its last big gasp, I'd say, in, in 98, because in 99, that thing became a hot potato. In 2000, like, I don't, I am so good with the history of the champions up until about 99, and then yeah. Godfather's got it. Val Venus has it. All these people Road who are like, dog. had no business <laughs> like, having all, it. All these fucking people. Uh, yeah. And it's constantly switching, and the title matches for them are on Raw, usually, and they're a minute and a half. Yeah. That's you- the downfall to me. Oh, wow. The Godfather's version of the Death Valley Driver. You know how I said before about like almost the threat of movement, right? With the Intercontinental right. title was what was kind of unique about it. Yep. The problem is, is that it became like, oh, it wasn't even a threat anymore. It was a guarantee. It yeah. was just like, well, it's raw. It, this, it, this belt's on the line. It's going to change. Yeah, like, that, that's what it became, yeah. right? And it's, a belt can only be as important as it's treated. Not as how important they say it is, but yeah. as they treat it. And they did not treat that belt. As important, I'd say, from 99 until they retired it in 02, until there was a brief resurgence from the downfall. And you always like this one. Randy Orton had a nice yeah. run with it. In Randy Orton, great Intercontinental Champion. Um, one of the last must, real good I ones. I must admit, during the uh, Legend Killer gimmick, yep. uh, he held it for a couple months, I want to say. Nine like, months. Which was kind of unique. Something like that. Here's the thing. is I believe after him... And, you know, obviously there was little spurts where it would change a bunch again, over and over again. But after him, there did seem to be some kind of, like, aim that, like, well, we have to have the Intercontinental Champion, like, last for a while. Because they were almost, like, trying to recover it. And to this day, they still do that. It's like the the Intercontinental Champion, he's the champ for about three to four months. It's kind of the average, I want to say. But doesn't defend it often. That's the problem. It depends on what they're doing. And and this is the thing that I've always noticed. This is the trend now. And this is part of the downfall, too, by the way. If it's a heel, they never defend it. (laughs) It's true. If it's a face, it's like open challenge every freaking week for the belt. Like, And this is like Seth Rollins and all these people. Challenge! I just feel like they never found a balance again. Like, it was like, it's cool that these people are being the champion for a longer time, which seems to be the trend now. Like, I, I can't say that they hot potato the... No, not anymore. Even the U.S. title, which is, like, the equivalent. But now there's no big feuds for it anymore. It doesn't right. feel important. It feels like these, these you know, every week kind of things. Although, you have to give them credit, and I think this is kind of out of necessity, if you've noticed... <laughs> Since uh, Brock Lesnar came in, right, and he's the champion, the world champion, basically, but he's never on the show, right? They have gone out of their way to basically be like, well, 
all we got is the Intercontinental <laughs> belt. Like, because they've been like, there's been like feuds for it as as soon as recently. Like the Dean Ambrose Seth Rollins is like that's like one that's of the like, few things that's recently. like a major feud yes. for, but for the Intercontinental right. title. That's right. but again, that's it's not because of any like we care about the Intercontinental title. It's because we don't have a world right. champ over here. Good like, point. Well, I mean, it's nice that they're finally fixing it almost twenty years later. But I think part of the downfall. I'm going to pose a couple questions to you. Do you think one of it was simply because of the era uh, of the late 90s, the Monday Night Wars, the way Vince Russo wrote TV, bro, that overall all titles were devalued at that time and the Intercontinental was one of them? I personally disagree that the world title was ever devalued. I Maybe think, that wasn't as much. Yeah. I but do, the hardcore, the I European. I the tag, the, the, tag. The, the Intercontinental and all that, the Intercontinental especially was devalued. Exactly. To me, it's a casualty of the time, and yes. I don't really believe it ever really recovered. No, um, not at all. It never, even like, even now when I'm saying like, wow, there's like main events and major feuds for the Intercontinental Belt on yeah. like Raw, like today. That right? used to be but a regular The thing is, thing. It's, it's that it ne- it's not because like, oh, the, the, the most important belt, the Intercontinental Belt, right? It's because it's just necessity. There's no other yeah, belt. I, it, that's like, fair, Quinn. It's, it, the reason why it seemed logical that it would main event SummerSlam in 92 is because the Intercontinental title was respected. And they were in England, but yes, yeah. it was respected. Right. Think of all the big bouts that they had had. Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. Uh, right. Perfect versus Bret Hart. Not just Bret Hart stuff. Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon. Like, all these big matches where it felt like it freaking mattered. Right. Whereas nowadays, it's like, it's got all this baggage, right? Like, they're never going to be able to erase what they screwed up in 1999. Yep. They also don't even, like, go out of their way to act like it's important. They just That's be like, thing. well, it's the only belt, so, the okay. They like, don't treat it important. Yeah. So do you think that another consequence is that they added more belts as the 90s, you know, came about? Like, the European was one of them, and then the hardcore, and then now with the brand split, which they obviously started doing in 02 and then stopped for a while. There's so many belts. Like, how do you even distinguish the U.S. from the IC at this point? Yeah, that was another weird misstep that I don't really get, because it's not like they had two shows to support like they do now. Right. Like, there wasn't a need for 45 belts. No! Like, like nowadays, there actually is, because technically, like, people are like, why is there so many belts? Well, that's because there's so many damn shows. Like, well, not even just that there's the nxt, NXT. there's like nxt gotta have, uk yeah there's belts for that right <laughs> so like it makes like if you really think about it each show has three titles four At titles least, yeah. yeah but that's not a lot to me right i understand what you you're know saying what I mean? there. yes i think overall the thing i miss the most about the intercontinental title was that if you weren't you know maybe as caught up in the world title feuds and the picture going on and even now when you watch old pay-per-views generally from the mid 80s until the mid 90s later 90s the intercontinental title scene was a really good scene like the match for it was generally very good the people involved in it were good and it was treated like it really mattered when the fink would say this is for the intercontinental people would pop yeah they'd be like wow okay you know like like, the intercontinental belt and all the great moments associated with it even texas tornado winning it from perfect that big yeah, shocker that was, was kind cool. of a surprise yeah, yeah there's so many good things about the title and it has a rich history but in 1999 it all kind of fell apart and i think you're right quinn it never really recovered do you think it ever will or are we done it would take some big thing to happen something that we can't foresee you know what right. i mean it's like one of those because i mean if you really think about it, the intercontinental title got reverence out of the same situation we're in now a because feud well yeah because like from 1980 or whenever, like, you know, 79, 80, whatever. Yeah. From that point till 84, 
Nobody gave a shit about it. I, mean, I didn't we're, think we're, so. We're watching the shows now. Oh, it's barely mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's not even talked about, Like no. right? Like, right. It's just that there might be some match in the garden for the Intercontinental title, <laughs> yeah. but that's about it. That's and about we it. We barely see the champion. Correct, yeah. Like, And I guess my point is is that it it takes a big few to, to start that, you know, just some moment or something where it's like, oh, this matters again. But I, it could happen. It could happen. You it, think. it really could. I like, think so it just, too. it depends on the booking or, you know, the direction of things. Like, actually, if you really think about it right now, would be its best time for it to happen because it's getting like prominence again, just because of necessity. I agree. But there's this window, right? Like, eventually, there's <laughs> going to be no Brock Lesnar and right. the world champions is going to be on the show every week. Right. So. And then what, how do you juggle that with the IC? Well, that's I'm just their, saying if, if they that's their challenge. What I'm saying is if they establish right now, they, they have some big feud that becomes a really like hot thing for them for right. the Intercontinental title. That might when it, the Intercontinental title goes back to being more secondary, people might be like, oh, well, we like the Intercontinental title now. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm saying. So you're saying there is hope for the IC right. title. But right now there's a very small window. Like <laughs> okay. if, if this, you know, I'm assuming by WrestleMania this year. Yep. Brock Lesnar's not going to be a champion anymore, right? That's I a mean, fair assumption. I, I, would, I would think he's done. Because like, we'll he, he doesn't show up anyway right now, <laughs> so maybe it's time to take the title belt off of him. It might be. And folks, it's time for us to go to break here, but before we do, let us know your memories, your thoughts about the Intercontinental title. When did you perceive it as uh, not being as important anymore? Or maybe you never perceived that. Maybe all throughout its entire run, you were right on board with it and always thought it was special. Let us know. You can do that by reaching us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. Shoot us an email or do what everyone else is doing and join the Facebook group. But Quinn, when we come back, it is week number four of the Royal Rankings. It's getting hot around here. It's getting a little crowded now. Heavy. Two more guys join the mix and we will find out where they fall. That's coming up right after this. is this intercontinental champion just what it says mr mcmahon last week pat patterson and yours truly were in rio de janeiro for the week where pat patterson and 20 of the world's not the united states not northern united states not southern united but from all over the world england france china russia all over that is where the tournament was held and this is the man who emerged triumphant the new intercontinental heavyweight champion Rio de Janeiro oh now Mr. Patterson what happens to the North American title if in fact you are the intercontinental champion I don't know and welcome back wrestling fans to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast thanks for being with us here it's episode number 114 and then is Monday January 21st 2019 now Quinn we're going to take a second here and explain the changes going on with our Patreon yeah changes we do have a Patreon folks patreon.com slash OVP podcast and you get a lot of value for your buck a lot of bang for your buck a lot of buck value yeah. that's, <laughs> what, that's what they say in economy that's the Patreon economy term yeah. yes so we are making some changes to it but right now as it stands now the week of January 21st until sometime in February here's what you got 
For $1 a month, you get to see the actual raw video of the making of every Monday episode, meaning right now we're on video. Yeah, we're wearing shirts. And hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really great time. And I have coffee. Yeah. And uh, you can get to see like little outtakes behind the scenes before the show, after the show. It is a little fun time. And that's on the $1 tier right now. Now, on 2 and $3 tiers for the next several weeks, what you're getting is every single week... 1982 WWF as live reviewed by Quinn and myself. Yes, the the change here is the $2 tier, right? Yes. Because this was uh, a $3 tier thing, but for this month, I guess. Yeah, essentially. uh, You will be getting the 1982s just like the the $3 tier. Every week. Yeah, for four weeks, I think. Four four more weeks or so. Four more weeks until the changeover, right? Yes. So then the changeover is coming in February, and that will be a $5 tier where you're going to get a monthly pay-per-view review, and we are going in order, starting with the first WrestleMania. Now, that's an audio podcast, a separate one. So what I would mainly suggest you do right now, if you're interested in the Patreon at all, is go over to patreon.com slash OVP podcast, check out the tiers. If you sign up for any of them, you'll have all the information and it all gets explained and like all of the latest things we've done yep so you'll know what's going on and if you have any questions just let us know but that's patreon.com slash ovp podcast if you want to donate more information to follow quinn yep royal rankings is heating up as we mentioned right yes folks this is where if you're newer to the show last season we ranked royally the wwf world champions we made last season the definitive list yeah the definitive top 10 of wwf world champions and we drank a lot of royalty yes while we, we did. while we ranked it right? yes we did and now this time around though we're taking it down a notch we're doing something different we are stepping off to the side and stepping into the booth as we royally rank the top 10 greatest commentators wow. of all time Big deal. Who's going to be number one? We're going to have to find out at the season finale in episode number 120. The science will tell us. The science will tell us. Now, what we do is each week, two new participants enter into the mix. Now, these are voted on by you, the fans. The top 20 are the only people eligible, meaning the list could be 50-something people, but only the top 20 make it. The ballots were taken. The the campaigning (laughs) began. There's no collusion here or anything. No hanging Chad. Uh, Yeah, no hanging Chads. (laughs) Nothing nothing historic like that would would indicate that there's been any cheating yeah. by any of these nope. these people. No tinkering with any yeah. of the voting here. So right now I'd like to run down the current top 6 as of last week. At number 1 Quinn is Joey Styles. Wow, Joey Styles. How is he the number 1? Well, he like, is as of now. Hey, huh? I, 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 I got to give props. Big props to Joey I mean, Styles. He's scientifically the greatest yep. commentator ever. Number two, Jerry the King Lawler. Number two for King. So all you King haters out oh, there, Here we number go. two, baby. <laughs> that, that's pretty high praise. It is high. Uh, number three, Mamma Mia, Quinn. It's Mauro Ronaldo. See? Even New- King beat Mauro. <laughs> I don't know what to tell <laughs> don't you. Don't start. Yeah. Number four is old cheese voice himself, Mike Tanay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The he, man with the voice for print media. <laughs> he sure exists at number four. <laughs> now, number five is a kindly older gentleman known as Bob Cottle. Yeah, he, that's... I love them. I call that the retirement home spot. <laughs> the Golden yeah. Girls house. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out there with Blanche. Blanche? <laughs> and at number six, because someone has to be last, it's part-time commentator Jimmy Cornette. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I totally even forgot he was on this list, right. so you just said that. Because he made it somehow. Wow, we even talked about him? <laughs> we even talked about him last week. All right, well, now we have the six participants named. Let's go, Quinn, down to the Fink and start off the Royal Rankings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now-
sir. We promised you a great main event here tonight. Roads touch Sherry first. His name's Fred Katal. Silly name for a Japanese wrestler, Fred. So we've got a great matchup here. His eyes are closed. He can't open them. Rankings week number four. The excitement builds, Michael Quinn. It's building already. It's building here. <laughs> Stop! Stop! We are building a list, actually, as you know, folks, of the top ten of all time. We've given you the rundown of the current rankings here, one through six. So let's all find out right now, without any further ado, who drew number seven. Comes with the axe handle across the arm of Bret Hart. Hey, <laughs> Sean Mooney and the gobbledygooker is set for action. Sean Mooney made the list, folks. Wow, okay. This Sean is... Mooney. We mentioned him a lot on this show, huh? Sean Mooney. I can't believe he made it. He I, barely I, did, but he made did it How did he in. get voted in? <laughs> he made just, it. I, he's awful. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Quinn not holding back. But, okay, I'll let the science Yeah, well, there is science, science Quinn. Or it's, whatever. It's not, we're, we're not taking Let's this lightly here. Use the beakers to figure this one out. <laughs> Sean Mooney, obviously, folks, uh, joined WWF in 1988 as a replacement for Craig DeGeorge, who yeah. was awful. Boy really number bad. one. Yeah, he and was Sean boy Mooney number one. Is boy number two in, and, the, in the lineage of boys. Right. And the boy, obviously, when we say that, that's the the young, like 30 year old or 26 year old, Greased dark hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. The, the slick hair, the blazer, <laughs> thin, you know, yeah. good enough face, good enough voice, you know. <laughs> not great. Not enough. great ever. <laughs> yeah. Now, Sean Mooney immediately began calling wrestling matches Which as is early weird. as 88, and he had no background in wrestling. He had a sports background. He worked for MLB Productions. Yeah, we talked to him, actually. We really did. We interviewed the, him. On this show. In April and of 2017. He explained he did some news segment about wrestling yep. or something. He went like, to Larry Sharp's Monster right, Factory. Larry Sharp, if you'll remember, is that doofus who trained um, <laughs> Bob Bradley. Yeah, among others, uh, yeah. Bob Bradley's one of them. And Mooney was immediately calling wrestling matches, generally with Al- Alfred Hayes as one of his partners. His eyes are closed! He can't open them! <laughs> and a bunch of other uh, people as well. well. One advantage to going out of the ring there is that he, he broke the hole that was around his neck. Well, he certainly did, but that's not the way to do it. Look out! And he actually had a very productive five-year run in the WF, as we call it I here. I will say he did um very Coliseum home video run. Very, very primetime wrestling exclusive matches type of run. And he was the secondary interview behind Mean Gene, of course, the late, great Mean Gene Okerlund. Because if you're working in that company with him, you better not be trying to take his spot. What, what can I say about Sean Mooney? I, I think secondary is, is a great description <laughs> of Sean Mooney. That's fair enough, actually. Now, as a commentator, as a professional wrestling announcer, forget his backstage stuff, which I happen to really like I there. think he, that's his best role. Oh, definitely. Now, he was mainly, like we said, teamed with his lordship, <laughs> Alfred Hayes. Now, what? Do, how do you describe usually the, uh, the how they sound, Joe? It, it's very um, soothing. Well, there's I've another always, the word. The dulcet you, tones. Yes. That's right. Of Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes. I think that should be a t-shirt. The dulcet tones of Sean Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes. Have you been anywhere here in Barcelona since we've been here, Sean? 
Well, I've tried to do uh, quite a bit of sightseeing. I found very interesting one uh, major thoroughfare. Yes. It was called La Rambla, where oh, a lot of people were uh, just walking up and down. Dozens upon dozens of Coliseum videos, you can hear them starting around 1990 until 1993. They're on a ton they're, of them. And they're on primetime. Like yes. every week, there's like one or two matches that where they're it's, on. it's like, oh, Sean, you're so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're Lord Chimp. <laughs> and Sean Mooney's style, let me just put it <laughs> kindly. <laughs> How do you put it? At his best, which was probably by the time he was there for a few years, like yeah. 91, 92, he's maybe adequate. That's the best I can say. I as mean, a play-by-play match caller, you know, no, as an announcer. he really is. I, I hate to say this because people get mad because they they seem to like him I now. like him. No, this is another guy. Oh. But at his best, I feel like he's kind of Michael Cole on commentary. Like, you could tell He's people, not as good as Cole. I guess, how do I put it? You could tell that people are telling him, like, this is how you should describe the wrestling. Well, yeah, with like, Mooney. You, yeah, but that's, that's how I think of Cole a lot, too. Well, he's ultra-produced, but all the announcers are these days. One of the things we learned when we did talk to Mooney is that he and Hayes were not... Like, they were left to do whatever they wanted when they did these Coliseum things. Well, the Coliseum things, but I think he was just talking about just the, like, the segment things. The segment things. You know, Lord Alfred on a train and all (laughs) that bullshit. Like, because he was talking about how, like... They had like a utility closet full of props or something. Yeah, and they that, would just like, go into it and, and find basically, shit. Basically, like they would just think of shit up just to yep. like. I, I don't think there was any direction whatsoever. It's like, well, it's this theme. Okay, have fun. Commander. Yes. We seem to have intercepted a signal. A fan request from England. Give me visual. Now, yeah. I will say this about Mooney. Uh, to, to be fair to him. A lot of the stuff that he and Hayes commentated on, which is mainly, again, Coliseum video stuff and primetime exclusives, they had no investment in. It wasn't <laughs> live. They're in a booth in Stanford for God knows how long, at God knows what hour. Well, they, they don't have care. A, they did have a little bit of investment. I mean, they want to know what little Timmy wrote in for, yeah. for <laughs> the match of the match. month or whatever. But I, did, I have seen Mooney in an actual ringside environment. He did a bunch of house shows in 88, uh, sometimes with Gorilla with Mooney. One of the best teams was Bobby Heenan and Sean Mooney in the MSG house show, (laughs) January of 91. And I'm your host, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I was going to introduce you, Bobby Heenan. You don't have to. Uh, I was kind of expecting uh, perhaps Lord Alfred Hayes or Gorilla Monsoon. I was expecting to be here by myself. I guess I am. It's actually kind of weird in in my brain to think of Bobby Heenan and Sean Mooney interacting for whatever well, reason. They certainly like, did because they did a bunch, but they didn't that much. Or uh, like, I guess in comparison to how most announcers like yeah. intertwined over the years, right? Right. Like Bobby and Sean Mooney were a rare pairing. You're right about that. So Bobby like reacting to him in general, like even when they would like throw to him, he would he always had like. Some snide remark. Kind of like a disdain for him. Yeah. So far, no man has been able to withstand the incredible strength of Crush as he continues to... Mooney, Mooney, Mooney. Why do you waste your time doing the events? You don't do a good job. Mooney is a match caller. Not great. We'll get more into that, I guess, with ranking time. He never had a signature call. No. He he did say the flawless one for Mr. Perfect a real lot. He He did say encounter a real lot. It's weird because he he tried like gorilla-isms, but with like his own spin on them or something. Right. He was okay, though. It's not like when you listen to him or when I at least listen to him in Hayes. It's not offensive. It's not hard to listen to. No, I'll give him that. It's not He's offensive. Pleasant. 
he's fine. It's, they don't care about what they're watching. They're just yeah, doing their job, you it, know? It's usually until Sean talking about some goings-on in the World Wrestling right. Federation <laughs> right. and, and stuff like that. And one of the more the more telling things, Quinn, is on the tape, I think it's Smack 'em Whack 'em, there might be another one or two, where it's mainly Hayes and Mooney, but there's the one where it's Smack 'em Whack 'em where Bret Hart faces uh, Ric Flair. For oh, the yeah. world title. Yeah. Like they just bring Gorilla in for that, even on Coliseum. They're like, wow. we're not fucking around here and having yeah. Sean Mooney so, call this match. So I guess what you're trying to say is the most telling thing is that if anything important yes. happened, they would make sure Sean Mooney was not involved with that. On commentary. Yeah. And to Mooney's credit, to be fair to him, he flat out admitted that he wasn't good at it and didn't no, want did, to do it. Didn't he didn't he kind of say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When we talked to him, yeah, yeah. he was like, No, it was terrible. I yeah. don't know why I did that. You know, like he he was nervous as as I don't blame him for being, I mean, you're calling wrestling now, matches. Do you think the reasoning behind, like, why he was put in there? Because he didn't really comment on this other than, like, they said, okay, here you go kind of thing. Right. But do you think the, the thinking behind the scenes, especially by Vince, was like, oh, man, if he's really good, I can finally get rid of that fat gorilla monsoon. And no. Like, no, but I, I just mean that, like, because he wanted this look or whatever. He wanted this, Vince always wanted the specific type that he finally achieved with Michael Cole. Yeah. Because Cole, I guess, just knew how to work but that's with what him. I'm, that's, what I'm, right. that's what I'm trying to say. But it was more like Gorilla didn't want to do that forever either. Yeah, I guess. That's the other thing. And there's only so many. They had so many shows back then that needed commentary superstars challenge spotlight house shows primetime exclusives gorilla can't do it all vince certainly didn't want to do it all so they yeah. needed like another announcer that's why they got shivani yeah in I 89 shivani was fantastic awesome. but we'll get to him later sh- i hope we yeah, will. I, I hope he I, made it if, if he's not above sean mooney in this voting <laughs> i don't know there's you problems got, you guys, guys are crazy yeah like, but back to mooney as an announcer i guess yeah i think that's they probably put him on the unimportant shit to test him out certainly yeah. they paired him with gorilla a few times and even jesse and gorilla once with him now i must admit get his feet wet they must have not thought that he was absolutely horrible because they did throughout his whole run keep him doing like commentary yeah, and he wasn't. He wa- I don't think he was horrible either. Yeah, honestly, I really don't. I think he was just whatever. He like, was, yeah. and not even average. He was just whatever. And I, we'll find out exactly scientifically where he falls later on, right? Yeah. I mean, well, it'll be interesting to yeah. see because science, Quinn. Yeah, science it rules but on this on this show. <laughs> him and Hayes, Mooney and Hayes are a fun team because they're so. Ir- that's one of the things. Listen to a match with them. They're just making shit up half the time. I, I know. They don't care at all. You know, in though, a good way. That's kind of the charm of it. It's it's. Right. I think a lot of people nowadays, they think, oh, man, Byron doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever. Whoever right. they don't like nowadays. Yeah. Well, but, Byron, no one likes Byron. Yeah. I guess there's some kind of charm, at least with Sean Mooney, where it's oh, like, yeah. it's not good, but it's not like to the point where you're like, this is so annoying. Right. It's not like JBL calling, oh, like, yeah. reading Wikipedia or something. <laughs> like, it, it's not... Having fun, Maggle! Yeah, it's not like something annoying, like... Byron just being stupid. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It, it's the charm in the same way that Dick Graham and Cal Rudman are charming yeah. on the Philly Spectrum shows, yeah. where it's just like, this is different and weird and it's fine, but I wouldn't want it on anything important, like you I, said. I still think Mooney, for whatever reason, unlike, I guess the the boys of, those, of that era were more kind of trying to ape like a gorilla or like dick graham or one of those people i, I, guess, I don't know like, who they were i guess my for. point is is that they they have this tone about them that it's like we're sitting around watching wrestling right like, not like this is a professional right, thing right. and look at all those moves and like you know <laughs> what i mean like it's yeah. not it's not like that you know what you know what mooney actually is probably most in the vein of believe it or not but just without the excitement level david crockett 
Yeah, I don't know. Crockett's more. If Mooney yeah, was more excited, I feel than like he'd the excited level, <laughs> the excited level is what makes David Crockett David, David Crockett. Crockett. Well, nothing else is really that good it, about his announcement. You guys so. better voted him, and I love Davy Crockett. <laughs> He's great. Know, you do. But Quinn, I think that'll do it for Sean Mooney. Why don't we find out now who drew number eight? You sit here and say, "Boy, you should have seen what happened." <laughs> And you can't because we couldn't get our cameras to it. Uh, I've been waiting for this one, Quinn. I'm so happy to welcome a true Southern gentleman, the voice of Memphis, one of the best of all time, in my opinion, Mr. Lance Russell, Quinn. Sir Lancelot himself. He is. You know what Lance Russell was, Quinn? Mm -hmm. Everything that I like about Bob Caudill. Yeah. Lance Russell was, but he was better he at was all of it. He was better than Cottle. Oh, definitely. Uh, and not only that, he was more prominent and more notable than Bob Cottle. It's true. He was basically like the main Memphis guy, right? He is Memphis when it comes yeah. to... Like, him and Dave Brown... Remember Dave Brown, the yeah. weatherman for the Memphis now, station? No, I was they about to team? say, was Lance Russell the weatherman? But like, no, he was, I don't believe so anyway. <laughs> he was something on the news. I, I, I don't know what. I don't know either, but you know what? He was involved with professional wrestling since 1959. This guy, wow, he is one of those guys like Bob Cottle that did it forever mm-hmm. he, until the like '97 or something like that. He, yeah, he I mean, because well, Memphis went on forever. Yeah, he, never, he never left. He pretty much never left. He is the voice, folks, and, and I'm sure many of you fans are familiar, but if you're not, he was in the original Continental Wrestling Association, which was Memphis, which became the USWA in 1990. Not to be confused with Continental, the not, the, not the Alabama yeah. one. And he was the Gordon Soley, so to speak, of that territory. That's probably the yeah, best comparison. I, I feel like him and Gordon are somewhat similar, although I feel Lance was more animated. Oh, he was. Yeah. Lance would talk back to the wrestlers in such a funny way to the heels like, oh, get out of here with that. One of the hesitations I had of coming back here was the fact that I knew I was going to have to listen to that mouth that hadn't gotten any smaller. There's something about Lance Russell. He comes off like he feels like he thinks he's professional, like at least his character. Yeah. Right. Like he thinks he's like really professional and like this wrestling like these people are are very wild and crazy you know what i mean but yeah. i mean it in like a good way it's not like he's like shitting on the product no. it's like it's kind of like he like dismisses the heels kind of thing yeah you know kind of I mean? like gorilla gorilla's a little di- i can't Gor- gorilla's a little more pointed about it right yeah like lance russell it's like get him out of here yeah, you just, know? i don't care yeah, get out of here with that yeah, you big jerk <laughs> yeah like, he was great because in the way that gordon Soli is pretty much regarded as one of the best of all time. And we'll see, you know, if he makes it, I'm sure he did make it. Lance Russell is right up there with him, in my opinion. I mean, Lance Russell had a great voice. This bout is to determine who is going to get the crack at the winner of the Bill Irwin Handsome Jimmy match. They uh, they will be battling, and the winner of uh, this one will get a crack at the Southern Heavyweight title. He had that welcoming, kindly feel to him, the way that, Bob Cottle does. I would kind of compare Lance Russell in the baseball announcing world to someone like um, Vince Scully, maybe. I guess. A veteran that did it a long time that had a class about him, a charm about him. But you see, whereas Vince Scully is kind of like, I I feel like they act like he's like one of the greatest of all time. He's regarded as one. Yeah. Or maybe the. Like, Maybe uh, according to some, I guess West Coast people, especially because he's yeah. Dodgers. Dodgers. But, like, I don't think Lance Russell has that kind of acclaim. I think he does outside of the North American fan or the Northeastern fan base. Well, no, I, I think only in Memphis it's thought that way. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he's bad. And I actually think he's like 
you know, at least in the top five. At the, you know what I mean? Sure, but that's like, fair. Before we even get to the rankings. But my point is, is that he's not best of all time material. Well, let's we'll have put to it that see. way. And obviously fans at any time, I just want to mention, you can let us know your updated Royal rankings after this yeah. episode. And you can post that on Facebook, put it on Twitter, whatever you want. Now, he's a by himself kind of guy, right? He's a by himself kind of guy, but he's also had partners over the years. And one other thing I want to mention is that between 89 and 92, he actually was exposed to a wider audience. He was a part of the WCW announced right. team, uh, sometimes with JR and a few other people. I'm Eric Bischoff, along with Lance Russell. He wasn't their A announcer, because mm-hmm. JR was when he was there, obviously. But also, I got the feeling when I saw him in WCW, like he was older, so they weren't putting him in a position right, where he was going to be the number. Like It was just kind of like, oh, look, like name credibility, oh, Lance Ru- yeah. Russell, you know? A good hand, if yeah, you will, like yeah. a real talent that He's could kinda, help. It almost seemed like they, he was lending his credibility to the newer announcers coming up kind of thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I just, I love hearing his voice on the Memphis stuff that I watch, and I, I don't really associate him with WCW. You know, he's not there no, all the time, I, a couple I of years. definitely associate him with Memphis. He's also got a very, like, of his time look to him. Well, he had the seventies hair in the seventies. The glasses, the, though, I always remember the glasses. He had the big glasses. Yeah, right. and he usually had a blazer on. You know, but a again, sport coat. a professional look. Right, but, but not for like, that time. But not like a boy. No, he's, he's like a gentleman. Right, a grizzled yeah. sportscaster look. I'm not going to say he looks like Walter Cronkite or anything, but he to wrestling he feels like a Walter Cronkite. You know what I mean? That's another good analogy, yeah. though. We got Vince Scully, we got Walter Cronkite. I mean, really, that's that's what I think of when I think Lance Russell. And by all accounts, a true gentleman, yeah. a really solid man. He uh, he went back to Memphis after his WCW stint and continued to do his Lance Russell I mean, things. You know, let's be real. Memphis was never going to turn down Lance <laughs> no, Russell like, if he wanted to come me? and go as he pleases. They wouldn't have cared. I mean, honestly, if there's if there's a few people associated with Memphis wrestling, you got to think Jackie Fargo. You don't have to, but I, I don't personally like him. Do you know? I think I've never seen a Jackie Fargo it, match in my life. It's like, not it, my cup of uh, moonshine. Is he just some kind of way. like? I swear, it just feels like he's some kind of like foggy legend yeah, that exists. Like you can leave no, him in the fog. Nobody ever really saw him. <laughs> <Right>. Like <laughs> uh, you got to think Jackie Fargo, Jerry Lawler, and honestly, Lance Russell. Yeah, if we're being it, fair. That's saying a lot that he's like considered in the anals like that you know yeah in the anals yeah he's not gonna go down in the anals you know and if we put joey styles just for the record here joey styles was ecw right same type of thing here lance russell was memphis definitely would say that i mean he was definitely identified with his promotion absolutely and he did a lot to make it what it was in terms of making people care about the matches, the angles, the storylines, wanting them to tune in. He was like a comfortable old shoe. And again, I, I compared him to Bob Caudle. It's everything I like about Caudle, but on a grander scale and better at it. So, Quinn, I guess it is ranking time now? Yeah. So we're starting <laughs> starting with Sean Mooney, but before that, let me just run down the, the six that we have right now, just as a refresher. Joey Styles, number one. Mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler, Mauro Ranallo, Mike Tanay, Bob Cottle, and Jim Cornette. Where do we start Sean Mooney? Do we just start him at the bottom against Cornette? So, I'm going to say this, and um, Jim, if you're listening, don't get mad. Motherfucker. You just didn't commentate enough. Even Mooney did more. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to, come on. To Mooney's credit, he has a pretty uh, prolific resume yeah. as far as you know length and, and volume of matches that I, he called. I really think the Jim Cornette being lower than Sean Mooney has nothing to do with co- any kind of ability as much as just quantity. At the, like, I, I can't really give Jim Cornette more credit than Sean. It just doesn't feel right. Well, <laughs> like, and it's not because of like any like what I think of Jim Cornette or anything. It's just, it's just not enough. 
Well, yeah, okay, that's fair, and I, that I, that should play into this. Now, folks, to remind you, or if maybe this is your first time, we are not strictly going off of technical ability here because yeah. that's not part. That's part of it, but that's not the whole picture. Another thing to mention is we're mixing p- color and play by play because we're trying to look at it from an overall experience, listening to the person calling the match. Holistic, as holistic, you've been des- right. describing it on this show. What they add to the match, their voice, their mannerisms, their legacy, their prolificness, their uh, maybe influence, perhaps. You know, a lot of different factors. And technical ability certainly is one of them. On a technical level, Obviously, Jim Cornette is better than Mooney. We know that. I mean, we're not stupid. I mean, in his lim- in the limited time yeah. that he did stuff, but I, he still is better. I guess. Wow, you are really down I, on Cornette, I, huh? It's just I I have nothing to really judge him off of. I mean, just him going meh, 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 like on the on, on com- being a heel on commentary, like he was essentially a glorified guest commentator like i, I love how you hate him so much it's not a hit. no actually, yes, it is. actually what's funny is you don't that like him. i like him like i i actually like his stories a lot like mm-hmm. on, on on podcasts and stuff i no, just they are, they are good it's just on commentary it's just it was so infrequent and not really much of anything other than putting his guys over and, and stuff and like i i just don't really understand why he's on here <laughs> people I, like listening to him i, I guess I you just a lot don't of votes. get it like so you think that the main thing that would put Mooney, I can't believe I'm saying this, but he, that would put he's Mooney technically above more professional. Like, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but it's true. Mooney did it as full time as he could have done it for five years. Yeah. I mean, truthfully. Yeah. He would did all the almost all the Coliseum shit from like 90, maybe even earlier until 92. In a weird way, he's more dynamic. Like, well, that's oh, how so. Because he's just he's tackling so many different superstars and stuff. Like Jim Cornette's there for you know a raw and a smoky aircraft carrier, like every once in a while with Alex the Pug fighting. Yeah, like, like like what like what the fuck? It's true for like a Jimmy Del Rey match or yeah, something. Like, that no who one cares. Like. He did nothing. <laughs> okay, but technical ability-wise, Cornette's still better. That has to I weigh a little. If like, it, how do you just guess? Because I can't know that for sure because he didn't commentate enough. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's are, true. Are you trying to tell me that there's no way Cornette can, can trump Mooney here? If this is scientific, right? It is. I need mitochondria are over here and everything. You need a lot of experiments to prove your point, right? Yeah. I just don't have those experiments with which I don't have the data. The data is not there. We do have goggles on, though, yeah, in our lab coats. Right, we're wearing that right now, folks. Right, the, the clipboard only has like two <laughs> entries for Jim Cornette, where it has forty-five for Sean Mooney. How is that a fair comparison? <laughs> and Mooney and Hayes, man, they made one hell of an interesting, weird team. I'll yeah. give them that. They're charming, I have to say. Yeah, but Cornette's entertaining. Yeah, but he's like again, he's with Vince or something once in a while. Yeah, and Jr. and WCW, like we yeah. mentioned, you know, he had a stint with him there. I get again. I just I feel like he's a guest commentator. Like most he of the is. Time. Yeah, he was like when it was Raw. He was basically on Raw when King was unavailable. Yeah, which was like four times a year. <laughs> like it's not even that much. Yeah, remember that like weird stretch when the DX like did the European title thing when Michaels lost it quote unquote to Triple H Jimmy Cornette was there remember. I do because he's like we met Bad Boozled Hoodwink had the wall pulled over our ass that whole rant that he has I, see I remember it yeah but he's it, prolific well you remember one week from 1997 or something like, and 95 
And he was on the first SmackDown. This would be like putting Shawn Michaels in for his like month on commentary. It was it was like six weeks, Quinn. And then sometimes in '98 for no reason. Remember, yeah. oh, the pro for all is good, Vin Man, or whatever. I guess all I'm saying is Shawn Mooney. It, it it just the numbers don't the data doesn't lie. Fine. There's just more data. Okay, so we're know? officially going to move Jim Cornette down. Then we can he, agree he on that. Cannot be. Okay. I don't. I don't see. Some real shitheads got to get on this list for Jim Cornette not to be number 20 at the end. You really think so? Yeah. You're calling it now? I mean, it's possible, Quinn. But I mean, we thought so with Randy Orton before that Orton would be like really oh, low. Last, last yeah. season, yeah. yeah. And then and Eddie Guerrero reared him. his head. Yeah. All right. Well, then Mooney and Caudle. I got to go Caudle, but present an argument or, or agreement. I would have to go Caudle, too. Do you think it's just because Bob Cuddle's a better announcer overall? Yeah. Um, and, and That's all there is to it. So here's here's Mooney's problem is once somebody has comparable data, he'll always lose. Like <laughs> I, I think that's yeah, fair. That that's he's just not as good. And, and like we were talking about in the when we were like just discussing him. Yeah. Like you would describe him as like second rate or whatever. What was no, that? Number two, basically. Not, yeah, secondary. Secondary. If he's sec- Bob Cuddle is. Well, he is very secondary also. Hmm. I think Sean Mooney is more... Third-dairy? More third-dairy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a word. Yeah. Can be. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you, Quinn. Bob Caudill, again, while maybe not the most prominent wrestling announcer, yeah. he certainly has an impressive career. You know, he was the main guy in Mid-Atlantic. He was also the main guy in Smoky Mountain, and he was a tremendous help to the NWA product overall with yeah. Gordon Soley. I think I think one of the best ways to do this is say, say it's WWF, right? right. And it's during any time period where one of the main announcers, like Gorilla's out sick or... or Which happened sometimes. JR's out sick. Which happens sometimes. You know, whatever. And say you have Bob Cottle and Sean Mooney on deck. Which one do you pick to go up to the plate? Like, I mean... Overlooking, <laughs> overlooking the fact that Bob Cottle never worked for no, the WWF. No, I'm just saying, like, ability you, you, wise, have, you have a roster of, the, and those two are on it. I'm going Bob Cottle, right? Way. Exactly. Of course. That, I mean, and that that really says all you need to say. Well, who would you rather hear call any kind of championship match? Bob, Bob Cottle, Cottle or Sean Mooney, yeah. right? Exactly. They would never trust Sean Mooney with a championship match. And what I like about Mooney, like I said earlier, is that he'd be the first one to admit that. He right. doesn't have an ego about his announcing. He knows that. I We're think, not saying anything I think that Sean Mooney would is probably stunned as it is if he heard this and heard that Jim Cornette was lower than him. Well, he's too busy uh, getting his t-shirt ready for his Patreon reward there. Well, 240 bucks and you get a free t-shirt. Well, we we won't go into that. That doesn't work into the science, the uh, <laughs> it Sean doesn't, Mooney Patreon. There's no financials here yeah, uh, yeah. involved. But I would say that Sean Mooney's yeah, final place today is definitely going to be below Bob Cottle. And I'll agree with you with the Jim Cornette thing because and only because of the data. We don't you know? have the data. I can't, I can't, without data, I can't do anything. Which one of our fans is going to give you shit for this one, Quinn? Is it going to be Tony Chiricetti? But tell is it going to be Chuck Mess? Okay, anybody who gives Here me shit, right? Go find me a record of every single thing Jim Cornette called because I, I guarantee you could you count it on maybe, maybe, if you had four hands, maybe. Goro could count it, yeah, is what you're Gor- trying to Goro tell me. Goro could count it, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so with that said, we'll put Sean Mooney into number six, and Jim Cornette moves down to the number seven slot. Quinn, where do we start, Lance Russell? I'll let you pick where we start him. How about number three? Morrow. Okay, we'll start him tomorrow. I think so, because I think he's better than Tanae without really having to debate I, I that don't heavily. I have to really think about that. I think yeah. that Morrow is... Morrow's an interesting comparison, actually. It is. Morrow is decorated in terms of his diverse background of announcing. As we mentioned last week, yeah. he's announced... 
fight sport, as you put it. You yeah. know, uh, real fight sport. Elite XC. You know, uh, UFC. I, I don't, don't even know so. what Elite XC is. It was but another he's apparently MMA announced thing. it. Strike Force, uh, boxing, New Japan stuff. Right. Obviously now WWF and NXT. Morrow's got a tremendous voice. I I personally like it. I don't know you about know, you. In but. a short time, if you really think about it, Morrow's resume is pretty damn impressive. It really is, and he's a, a big fan of wrestling too. Right. And his enthusiasm, for better or worse, as I mentioned, shines through in the way he announces, which yeah. you couldn't say about fucking Sean Moe. I'll say this: um, whereas some announcers, um, their enthusiasm gets in their way. I think Morrow harnesses his enthusiasm for you know, actually being a fan and stuff, like, in the right direction. I think he uses it for, for good and not for evil, if that's right, what you mean. exactly. He, he's not John Sterling just trying to get himself over. I like to no. say John Sterling because Sterling became a fucking yeah, and, parody and, and of himself. I, and I know some people will be like, well, what about the Mamma Mia call? But that's kind of like, that's just his, like, signature, I suppose. JR like, said, bah, God, yeah, all the time. exactly. I, I think Mamma Mia is just his, like, that's his bogart or whatever, yeah. or like puppies. Jr. Like it's Stop. like, it's like it's, it's, but you <laughs> don't know bring what I that mean? up. Like it's, it, I know it's it, his it, catchphrase. It, it's his catchphrase. I mean, Gorilla had a ton of gor- yeah. call gorilla isms. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's like if anybody's getting on Morrow for that, I know. I just it's feel, a weird choice. I just feel like Super that, Mario said that. Mamma mia. Yeah, but he's he's Italian, right? So yes. like that's kind of the point. Super but Mario's also a cartoon. I actually, I actually think Mamma Mia for an Italian announcer is actually kind of a. Like that's kind of cool, actually. I, I don't mind it, <laughs> okay. Because it, it, it's also like it's like, oh my god! Like Joey Styles, Joey Styles right? had that. But that's, right? that's how Morrow uses Mamma Mia, right? It's, it's like somebody thing. goes to a table. He's like, Mamma Mia. Yes. All that said, though, Lance Russell's better than Morrow Ranallo by far. I think um, it's fair to say, Quinn. Yeah, just it just Morrow's, he's just more professional. Like, he's it, more professional, and he, he's like a he did it for like forty years. And that's you know saying he's more professional. That's actually saying a lot compared to Morrow because Morrow's very professional. Morrow's awesome. Like you, you know said, what I mean? Professional to say somebody's broadcaster. more professional than Morrow right. is actually like wow. Yeah, that's actually pretty impressive. I agree with you, but I think that. A few things just put, a, a couple of things put Lance Russell over the top here. Longevity is one of them. I think his overall legacy, he never really tarnished his legacy. When you have a long career, that can be hard. To be fair to Morrow, depending on how his career goes, because he's actually like pretty young in his career, yeah. it's early in his career. Yeah. You could make this list 10, 15 years from now. He might be better than Lance Russell. You don't know. You don't know. That's to fair. To be fair to him. That's fair. We don't have our crystal ball here. Yeah. We don't know. He could He could have one of the most epic calls of all time in the main event at True. WrestleMania within his career, and we don't even know yet. That's a fair point, like, Quinn. Yeah. But in the here and now, I think that Lance Russell, for having done it for you know almost 40 years, to yeah. not tarnish your legacy, to not devolve into a caricature, to yeah. not... He never really did. To not become a parody and to not diminish in your ability, that's really saying something. Now... He always was the newsman who was calling wrestling. That's, that's what it that's always what I appeared think about like. Yeah. But he had enough flair for doing it, and enough of an understanding, a grasp of how to do it where it just was enjoyable. And that's... Again, Morrow, obviously, due to just duration, cannot compete with that. But as far as ability for calling a wrestling match, I mean, Morrow's great, but Lance Russell's great, too. So yeah, that's a wash. I think even Morrow himself, say, we for whatever reason, we got an interview with him, right? Okay. I think if we showed him this list and Lance <laughs> Russell was above him, I don't think he would disagree. No, of course not. Yeah. And, well, because Morrow's not an egomaniac. He's either. a very nice guy, too. Absolutely. He's like known as yeah. very nice, but... So we'll agree that he's above Morrow. Now it's time for uh, 
fucking number two here, Jerry Lawler. I cannot so, believe that okay. he's still number two. <laughs> Not so, for long here now, Quinn. So I, I got to ask you a question. No. This is kind of interesting to me that two pillars of Memphis yeah, that's true. are pitting against each other. Yeah. Now, in King's defense, no. I guess. God, how do you start with a defense? <laughs> we talked about professionalism. Yeah. And you don't think of what King's doing as professional, obviously, right? No, I, no that's but, not true. But. No, but here's the thing is that all the stupid shit he does, that's literally his job. So in, in actuality, he's very professional. You are finding every single crevice, say- nook and cranny to defend him and I'm keep him here. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But overall, his ability as a broadcaster is not on any level compared to Lance Russell. Hmm. His ability to add to matches, which I've defended very vehemently the last three weeks. Yes, is, that is true. I have. You cannot knock King for that aspect he there. still doesn't stack up to Lance Russell in terms of what he does for a wrestling match. No. Um, do you think that King is a bit handicapped at being a color guy? Because I've heard some arguments on the board saying that it's going to get... I guess the implication was that it would be harder for them to compete. I don't think he's handicapped, Quinn, because he's at number two and he's above play-by-play guys like Morrow and Mike Tanay and Bob Cottle. So I don't think so. I'm just saying because he's he's already at number two and number one is Joey Styles. That's my point is that King was so easily knocked to number two because King's career is longer, et cetera, et cetera. You would think King would hang on earlier, but but he's hampered because he's a color man. He's also hampered because he's not as good as you're making him out to be. And that's why I keep arguing in this way. Let me put it this way. I don't know who's going to be later on down the line as we yeah. do this, but a color man may very well be number one. Okay. I mean, there's two very prominent ones that both worked with Gorilla Monsoon. I'm not yeah. going to mention names here. That both worked with Gorilla right. that might be considered by people to be the greatest announcer of all time. True. So it's not just their function, but how well they are at right. doing their job. Yeah. And I just, I know you love King. And look. Listen, it's a, I'm not crazy either. I don't I expect King to like be anywhere <laughs> close to number one. But I just want to be fair to King when he gets brought up against somebody. That's all I'm saying. I don't want him to just get dismissed as puppies, JR, and that's it. And like, I agree with you, right? and I think that we're doing our part here in preserving and maybe uh, helping rebuild the structural integrity of King's legacy as an announcer, because besides puppies, JR, and ah, and all that, yeah. he could add to a match, again, when it called for and when he was in his prime as an announcer. Yeah, and we're in the rare fight air right now. That's, that's the other thing, is Lance Russell needs to prove here why he's here. I'm just saying. Lance Russell is here because he helped make Memphis. I mean, again, Jerry Lawler did probably But Jerry more, Lawler was a wrestler. But he was a wrestler right. doing that, right? And occasionally yeah, a commentator. Count, so. Lance Russell is every bit as important, I think, to Memphis wrestling. Well, maybe not every bit, but very close to okay. uh, Jerry Lawler. On that very point, can, yeah. I, can I say one thing? Yes. Where is Russell's important to his scene? Right. Uh, hugely important. Would you say Lawler is just as important to his attitude era scene? Because you, you did say you, yeah. you did say many times that he was, you know, one of those major voices. Part of the that soundtrack. You, you, part of the, you remember him. I will know? say this. J.R. and Jerry Lawler were the best team that WWF could have possibly provided during that period of time. Right. King was no doubt about it. You know what? You know what I will say about King in that respect and this is something we didn't mention, yep. but I think the fact that King was a heel in a time where we were blending the heels and the faces, shades of gray, yeah. shades of gray it lended a lot to understanding, especially for people just getting into this shades of gray thing. Right. It lended understanding to whose side was what 
True. Based off like what King was rooting for. Yeah. And, like, Until about some, 2000. Even when sometimes when King would be real, I think that lended to the, the shades of gray. Sometimes you'd be like, why is he rooting for him? True. You know what I mean? And that was his best period, I'd say, as an announcer. It was yeah. from maybe about 94 to 98. With, yeah. And then a lot of that was with JR or Vince. And King was the last true heel announcer for a long time until recently. Until JBL. But still, all these nice accolades for King's few good years as an announcer, Lance Russell had like 40 of them. That's true. And Lance Russell is just a better wrestling announcer. Yeah. I just wanted to... I, I think Lance Russell is above him. Okay, good. But I just... <laughs> I just wanted to give King, like, you can't, well, because when you're talking this high up, you just have to, like, be weary of just okay. putting someone up. Well, I'm I'm fine with putting Lance Russell above him. I also will position now that Lance Russell should be above Joey Styles. I kind of agree. I think, again, the longevity is really helping his case here. It's helping it. I think if Joey was given a chance after ECW fell apart, yeah. I, I really think he could have adapted. I think... You know, Vince, it was a weird time. It's hard to adapt to that because Vince was so, and is so particular about what he wants to do with his announcers. Yeah, and Vince was so weird after he won the war. Oh, well, shit, yeah. I I, I just, I look at, like, what Joey walked into, and sometimes I can't even tell what the hell Vince was trying to, like, do. And I don't even know if he knew what he was trying to do as far as from a commentary perspective. In the mid-2000s, where it was just bizarre. It was just a weird time. He's trying all different things, and, like, I just didn't get, like, Mike Adamley comes in, like, (laughs) things like that. Another boy, but a man this time, right? Yeah, I... Oh, God, Mike Adamley. I I guess my point is, is that, like, I feel like Joey, is his career was hampered by business rather than his actual skill. And Vince's preference. You know, Joey had the skills, no doubt about it, but he is no Lance Russell. No. He's just not. I mean, he's a great announcer. Yeah. He made it to number one Lance uh, Russell, for a while. Lance Russell did have the benefit of being where he needed to be when he needed to be. And being so good at what he did that, of course, he would always be there. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's J- the other thing. To be, I'm just saying, to be fair to Joey, he was just kind of, he was screwed. I mean, Paul went out of business and there was not really a place for him. Well, I don't know if TNA was ever interested in him or not. Maybe he either declined or I, I don't know. All of my friends work for TNA. Sometimes I feel very alone. Yeah, but also Joey, I, I, I've, I've heard he had a history of being particular of wanting to cover a good product. He's the kind of guy that I could totally see like right. being like TNA, what the fuck? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. He would. He, you could tell even in his commentary that he was kind of a WWF fan anyway. You think so? I, I don't always, think he was a WWF fan, I, do you? I, hey, when we go over that ECW later today, yeah, right. A lot of the people that worked for True. that company True. were n- from the Northeast. Yeah, they well, watched, I mean, Philly is where yeah, ECW is. They, they watched WWF their whole life. Maybe uh, ECW to them was the was the number one idea of right, wrestling. Right. But if there was a number two, it was always going to be WWF rather than WCW. Okay. Let's put it that way. All right, that's fair. You, you know what I mean? And when it collapsed, there's only WWF. So yeah, Joey, wants to go to TNA. I think I think, I think in a weird way, it was probably a dream of Joey's to go to WWF. I mean, like he grew I don't know. up watching the promotion. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I do know. I will say this, Quinn. Holistically, do we both agree? Overall, Lance Russell. Is just a better oh, yeah. wrestling announcer no, yeah. and, and better to listen to as good as Joey is. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so we're actually going to officially have a new number one here now. It's going to be Lance Russell, folks. So mm-hmm. big so, changes here, Quinn. This is an interesting list. Although I got to say, Mooney didn't make much of a dead <laughs> No, list, no. But... Mooney was there. I don't know how he got on, yeah. but he certainly did. I guess people like him, but let's rank him, Quinn. Let's run it down here. This is the greatest 
announcers as of week number four. At number one, Lance Russell, the greatest wrestling announcer of all time. Sir Lance a lot. <laughs> number two, still holding strong, though, is Joey Styles. Yeah, Joey, um, he put up a decent fight there at the end. Yep, the number three at Burger King, Jerry Lawler himself finally moving down where he belongs. He's down to uh, Jack, I guess. Yeah. I it was a, a deck of cards. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's a uh, Jack. Yeah. Uh, Mauro Ranallo at number four. Not bad. Mike Tanay, number five, still in the top five. Hey, I don't know. Professor. Yeah, he's that a professor. That degree got him really far <laughs> this time. <laughs> number six, kindly, grandfatherly Bob Cottle. He's not the bottom. No, that's good. Yeah. And neither is number seven, Sean Mooney. Yeah. Lord Chip. Hey, hey Lord Chip. Yeah. I think it's surprising that he made it above In this encounter. person. <laughs> and then number eight, uh, holding it down, Jim Cornette. Why is he even not this guy? <laughs> I'm going to say that every time. I know, that's why it will be. Folks, that's the Royal Rankings for week four. Let us know yours. You can do that at Twitter. Send us an email or join the group. But Quinn, when we come back, before ECW was extreme, it was Eastern and kind of weird. And we'll be talking about that right after this. What we are talking about is decadent filth. Rock and roll, in its essence, is taking young men and women and making them slaves to sins of the flesh and sins of pleasure. I stand for courage, purity, honesty, humility, diligence, charity, and fidelity. Well, that gave you an idea about Popovania. Well, let me tell you, Rick and Robert. Don't Robert's- tell us nothing! Okay. Don't tell us nothing! Let me tell you something! 6033 in the corner in Pomphomania, yeah. The sexiest team that nobody can do anything about. Don't talk to them no more. All right, that's good. We don't want to talk to you anymore anyhow. Don't me off. All right, we'll take time out and we'll get back around here before we get in the middle of uh, Pomphomania. Hey, it's Sean Mooney. I may no longer be in the event center, but if I was, I'd be talking about our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. All right, boys, let's get to it. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast here on episode number 114. And before we review something, I want to remind you, believe it or not, Quinn, there are other wrestling podcasts out there. Oh, are there? There are. They're not all hosted by Conrad Thompson. Really? Which is interesting these days. And you can find a few of them. There are friends of the show. We're going to give you three that are really good, that we really stick by, that are really, really tight with. Check out first the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, WPAN. It's hosted by two guys that have actually worked in the wrestling business. One of them is an independent wrestling referee that alleges he is currently on an extended hiatus, but we think he's just retired. He's retired, but I've heard, heard some rumblings. Maybe he'll come out of retirement. <laughs> for AEW. Yeah. For, or maybe the Crockett Cup yes, that's right, coming up. right. And his name is Mean Mike Crockett. He is the meanest of the mics. The biggest of the daddies. And the most retired of the referees. And he hosts a show each and every Monday with an actual wrestler. He is ROH's own. One half of the bouncers, Quinn. It is the kingpin, Brian Malonis. The Wine City Whaler himself. That's right. Teaming up with the Beer City Bruiser. These guys are great because they've both worked in wrestling. So they have an insider's perspective, the inner workings of the business. But they also grew up as fans of wrestling. So you get a great entertaining show with them where they bring their perspective to it. Really cool cool show check it out the wrestling podcast about nothing and also check out the critically acclaimed the golden globe winning yeah. all the critics are talking about it this one outstanding drama in a podcast yep. or something I, I don't know village voice gave him a glowing review of course it is on thursday's greetings from allentown gf allentown and is hosted quinn by one very lonely quirky man and his name is Petey winston Spin Magazine says Peter Winston, the finest Don Kittle fan in the universe. Ron Kittle. 
<laughs> what Petey does over there in Allentown, even though he's not really from Allentown, is he reviews a wrestling show each and every week. But while he like reviews the show, so to speak, you're going to get all sorts of side tangents and weird oddities and notes about sports and the hockey and the Bruins yeah, and Bruins and Ron Kittle, of course. The Bruins any good? I don't pay attention. I don't Nobody know. Nobody pays attention to hockey. Nobody Bruins. cares about hockey. Yeah. Steve Bennett does. Yeah. So check out Greetings from Allentown, GF Allentown, and also check out if you like your retro wrestling extra crispy, you can check out the Southern Fried Brethren of ours. That is Mike Mills and Bookin the Territory. Yes, now, are they a spicy crispy or just original recipe crispy? Well, you can get both, actually, because they do two shows. Oh, really? Yes, they do. Which one's the spicy one? The spicy one is Smoky Mountain, because they review the Smoky Mountain, and they also do NWA the Crocodile. They're in 87 right now. That's, that's because the Smoky Mountain is smoked. Yes, so that's where the spice is. Spice there, that's right. Yeah. It's the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. It is Bookin the Territory with Mike Mills. Check that out. So that's our three friends of the show. It is the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. Greetings from Allentown and Bookin the Territory. But Quinn, we are reviewing something. This is your request. Well, I'm a big fan of this uh, promotion here. Yes, you are. Folks, what we're reviewing here, you can find this on the WWE Network if you have one, and I'm sure there's alternate means to obtain it, but we are using the network version. It you is, needed alternate means before recently, yeah, actually, because this was not on there in the initial dump. Uh, very good point. It was yeah. not on the initial dump. It's the first ever ECW Hardcore TV, and it is from April 6th, 1993. Now, a quick background on ECW, just so you have an idea here. The precursor of sorts was a promotion called the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, Joel Goodart. And when that folded in 1992, Todd Gordon happened to be a partner in that promotion. And Todd Gordon had wanted to be involved with uh, you know, wrestling. So he founded here Eastern Championship Wrestling yes. in Philadelphia. Very Eastern. Very championship. A lot of championship. Yeah. <laughs> Very. And, and, and some wrestling. Some wrestling. Yeah. And Todd Gordon here had Eddie Gilbert as his booker. Now. As ECW went on, you know, in the summer of 1994, it went underwent a not only a name change, but basically the aesthetics finally it had been building and building and building. Complete and they, revamp. They finally changed to Extreme Championship Wrestling. Now, Eddie Gilbert left in, I believe, September of 1993 and Paul yeah, Heyman. Pretty quickly. Yep who was previously known to the wrestling world as Paul E. Dangerously, a mm. heel manager in WCW and elsewhere before that. Right. He took over the book and eventually became the owner of ECW in 1997. But way before all of that here in 1993, they taped their first show. And this yeah. is taped in mid-March of 1993. I'm going to say this about this show first before we get started. This is a weird thing. You could tell it's rough around the edges. Um, you see the roots of some of the people who would actually more so become the jobbers of ECW. <laughs> yeah, it's but true. like it's true. But they but here they're not jobbers yet. They're kind of all they have. Yes. You know what I mean? Now, this was the little promotion that could at yeah. this point. They would self admittedly have very poor production during yeah. this period of time, very poor lighting. Uh, not a lot of fans, but people did come to see this stuff. But this wasn't out of laziness. No! This is just lack of... Lack like, of the, funds. Yeah, they just didn't have the ability. Right. Like, lack of ability, lack of, uh, you know, structure, in, yeah. internal structure. Resources. Lack, yeah, resources, lack of uh, experience doing yeah. this. And when you think ECW, the typical fan, wrestling fan that thinks ECW, you think the grit. You think the wild, rowdy fans chanting ECW. You think blood. Maybe, blood. You think Raven, maybe, Tommy yeah. Dreamer, Beulah, you think of the Dudley Boys, right? right. Blue Meanie. Sandman. St Sandman, Balls Mahoney, yeah. the Rotten Brothers yeah. even, Pitbulls. Yeah. This has none of that. Well, it has, <laughs> it one, has one. One, one thing out of all of that. But. And you think Joey Styles. 
but he wasn't here. You don't even have him here. Joey Styles would join in September, for the record. But let's get right to it, Quinn. And this ECW, April 6, 1993, and we are greeted with kind of a cold open of the Eastern Championship Wrestling logo in what looks to be like Microsoft Word art font. Yes, and I, I also want to note that it came up with no music yes. at all. Like, it was just like, I thought, like, the audio was broken at first on the... I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, no. Because okay. I, I, like, sometimes my soundbar takes, like, a second for, like, the audio to, like, kick in. Very uh, fancy soundbar. But, but, no, that was actually how it was. Because yeah. I, I, like, went fast-forward and then rewinded back old trick i learned and and no there's High just tech. there's just no uh there's no audio to, there's no audio just for that part and then out of nowhere like a jump cut to the generic rock music kicking in as yep. we get clips of those ecw staples in the intro you know guys like jim neidhart and british what? bulldog yeah and weird fat don morocco nikolai volkoff jimmy yep. snooka ivan koloff and of course quinn your favorite sal balomo yeah once he became a hairy barbarian or, or something <laughs> yeah. your favorite wrestler joe so. uh, sal balomo. at least Don't you know what started. i will say this he doesn't what? have the strap he doesn't have the strappy things he yeah. has some other things uh we're here from the cabrini college Fieldhouse in what? philadelphia yeah and our announcers here we got jay sully with stevie wonderful my name is jay sully i'll be bringing you all the play-by-play action this evening along with my co-host the official color analyst for the ECW, Mr. Stevie Wonderful. Who? Who are these people? Like Jay Sully. Well, we got Gordon's son and like Stevie Wonder or something. <laughs> yeah, and Stevie Wonderful. Did they just put a full at the end of it? Like, that's it? That's it? Sully looks like he's late for a game show hosting audition or something. But he like, not like, like a game show on national television, no. like Game Show Network. Yeah. Like, original. <laughs> original, oh, yeah. yeah. Like a pilot for yeah. something like that. In a moment, you're going to participate in a brand new game show that we call How Do You Like Your Eggs? Wonderful looks like a thin Oliver Humperdinker. I don't. I don't even know how to describe Stevie a Wonderful. Clean Pete Doherty. He's I'm very not sure. Puffy. His he, hair. Is he's puffy. not good. And, and he looks like he should be wearing a white glove, like you said, like Humperdinck or he, something. He looks like he should be in White Snake. Yeah. This is on Sports Channel, Quinn. They're very super excited about. They're this. so proud that With they're on Sports, Sports Channel. Channel. Remember Sports Channel? What did that become? Does anybody know? I, Fox Sports. Okay. I think so. It was just. It was just gobbled up. Into yeah, the I Fox. think so. It's by FS27 now. <laughs> Or whatever the fuck. <laughs> so Sully introduces the president of ECW, Todd Gordon. He looks uh he looks like Todd Gordon, Quinn. Yeah, he he doesn't look any different. Nope. I mean Todd Gordon kinda to me always looked the same. <laughs> Balding with a beard. I feel like if does is he still alive today? Yeah, I think uh, so. I bet you he looks exactly the same. Maybe his hair's a little gray. shorter. Like, yeah, yeah gray or something. Grayer. You were saying also that he had that TV title, but it's the shitty one. Yeah, so it's the original one, the belt with no side plates. Yeah, it's junk. They had that forever, yes. too. Till the mid-90s, or yeah, like late Yeah, till they got, 90s. like, the official ECW branded belts. Yeah, the RVD one, now, I guess we can I call actually, it. I actually, so that, this belt's shitty, but for some reason, after a while, like, I guess just watching enough ECW, I kind of, like, appreciated its junkiness, because it kind of was like, it, it perfectly reflects ECW. We got no money. Like yeah. this belt is just this rudimentary it's, it's belt. Just like what we could put together. <laughs> right. Like there's something charming about that to me. I don't know why. Right. No, I got you. Stevie Wonderful on commentary seems to be doing like a 1988 DDP impression, which is not a compliment. Banana hatches. Here we come. Gordon mentions the TV title tournament tonight, which is ECW style. I don't know what that means. He has a special announcement, Quinn. There's going to be a third man in the booth tonight. And Todd Gordon says it's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. The living legend, Eddie Gilbert. What? So Gilbert comes out. He's got a rather festive, multicolored polo shirt now, on. They, they definitely didn't mean him, right? No, I yeah, wouldn't think yeah. so, because Gordon's like, no, I'm not putting up with your shenanigans. I've got the real third man in the booth, the real living legend, 
Terry Funk. Okay, well, thank God it's not Bruno. Because <laughs> I was expecting... I don't know Living why. Legend. Because it's the first episode, right? So I'm right. not really sure what to expect. So I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, they got Bruno for this. Oh, my God. Like, good condition. Uh, would you be surprised? This is a great promotion here. Yeah. I really like- Didn't he do that at ROH? Yeah. Well, he also did that at... Um, like, oh, what was that you, thing we watched? Abrams, Her- UWF. Mary- he was on her. <laughs> so, like, this is definitely this not... Is a step above, yeah. maybe. I Sorry, guess, Gino. I guess what I'm saying is that this is no, this is no like, bad thing for Bruno to do right. at this point because if he's putting over her yeah. like this is like not even much different no but it is uh, in fact Terry Funk who's got a stylish blazer on uh, yeah, being I, facetious <laughs> I actually thought it, it made him look uh, man. it was like a manly blazer like yeah. a working man kind of bra- blazer with his peach colored shirt and yeah. khakis on his very early 90s yeah Gilbert flips out that Funk's out here so Funk just threatens to kick his butt in the ring right now yeah isn't he supposed to be commentating he's like gets very physical like like everything everything about him just seems like i don't think he's going to be doing this for a long (laughs) time kind of thing like (laughs) i think he's getting in the ring sometime soon (laughs) gilbert's big comeback to funk is oh yeah oh yeah and then he just leaves (laughs) and if you want to get tough you can get into the wrestling ring with me but then how would that look if this old man here kicked your butt Oh yeah? oh yeah! Funk does like the big motivational speech to the crowd. He coins yeah. the term HC for hardcore fans. Yeah, so doesn't he mean like HCF? Yeah, like, hardcore I, I was fans. so confused by this. And this whole the fans are good, wrestlers fight for them, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, like, like the we're doing this for you. These yeah. are really good fans. This for you the know. HC fans <laughs> or HCFs. That didn't catch on. Yeah, that, was he trying to like make like a t shirt catchphrase <laughs> or something? It's on, like on call, day one. I'm an HC guy. He commends Todd Gordon. And I'm putting together this shit, and there's like a uh, proud basketball backboard in the background, Quinn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. So this arena, this is arena. very much of a you can see the ceiling kind of thing, like, <laughs> like you can a see rage, the exit sign. Like, this is, I, it, it's very odd. Funk throws us to break here, and we come back with an awful manager guy here, Hunter Q. Robbins the third. Now you say awful. Now awful. This, so this guy, he Joe, stinks. Uh, but he was around I even know. like late 94, maybe even some of 95. He's not good though. I believe he was involved with Taz later on. Like he was before his, Bill Alfonso. Yes. Yeah, way before right. Bill, Bill Alfonso. But he's terrible. Yeah, like, he, oh. he, he's really, I mean, I, what would you say he's trying to be? I'm, I'm sort of thinking like a cross between classy Freddie Blassie. What? Because the cane. <laughs> and slick. And slick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but he's not good. He introduces his ECW tag team champions, the Super Destroyers. The two meanest sociopaths who ever stepped into a ring. The Super Destroyers. He actually kind of sounds like that guy that ran for Stark County Treasurer, remember? My name is Phil Davidson. And I am seeking our party's nomination for the position of Star County Treasurer. The Super Destroyer's opponents, Quinn, are the Hellriders, EZ, and HD. They're fat slobs. What is this HD high definition easy pass over here? Like, what is this? They ride hell, Quinn. They're the Hellriders. The Destroyers kind of play like patty cake in the corner, and then they get attacked by the Hellriders. Big brawl to start. One of the Hellriders looks like Kmart version of Cactus Aww. Jack. Well, Kmart, you know. I mean, both of them are... They're garbage. They're like, low-rent cactus jacks. Like, you can just see Jobber written all over them. I know, yeah. seriously. You literally can on their yeah. tights if you look close. Jay Sully, of course, doesn't know which Hellrider is which or which Super Destroyer is which. Is that HD or EZ in the ring there, Stevie? 
I could care less which one it is. Can you tell me what Super D that is, Jay Sully? I bet you can. That's Super D number one, I think, isn't it? Absolutely incorrect at this point in time. The commentary is just a mess, Quinn. Well, it's really hard. I, I think having two guys with two-letter names as a tech... Like, you're asking to get mixed up there. Like, yes. EZ, H... What? They, HD. And we had Funk saying HC earlier. Yeah, there's a lot of letters. I don't understand. So the Destroyers, uh, I guess they destroy HD for a while there. Of course, like we mentioned, the lighting is awful. Jay Sully is so bad that at one point, Terry Funk just starts calling moves. Beautiful suplex. Beautiful vertical suplex there. The Super Destroyer goes in for a cover. I'll take this moment, Quinn, to interject. Jay Sully, he was literally just a fan of wrestling that (laughs) knew someone here that had, like, a decent enough voice. So who do you think his favorite uh, announcer of all time is? Honestly, it's probably, like, Gordon Sully, because wasn't that everyone's? Yeah. But no, my point is is his his stupid name. That's no way that's his name. Well, it's not. It's Sully, not Sully. It's too close, Do you think he's sullying the Sully? He's very sullying that. That's right. Make sure you don't know sell my Sully Sullying joke. Anyway, powerbomb by one of the SDs on the Easy Rider, followed by a senton splash by the other SD for the win. Who the fuck is who? I don't know. The announcers don't even know. No, but I'm I'm not even sure just by looking back at the notes right now. Like I'm wondering, like, wait, is Easy and HD are they the super destroyers? But they're also no, they're the Hell Riders. The SDs are the super destroyers. Why is this? It's so confusing. (laughs) We got calculus. We got guys named by numbers and guys named by letters, but nobody has an actual name. And the fans are named by letters too. What's going on here? Stevie Wonderful, yeah. calling matches with I, Gordon Sully's son. So conf- Everyone's a ripoff of something. <laughs> like Funk gets an interview with Hunter Q. Robbins, who he keeps calling a turd. By the <laughs> well, way, no. So okay, so Hunter Q. Robbins is is technically Hunter Q. Robbins the third, and they would they would call Excuse him. Excuse me. To be fair, this was his name even in the ninety four ninety five. He's good for him. So more um, numbers. But anyway, he's calling him Hunter Q. Robbins the turd. Yeah, get it. Yeah, the turd. So funny. Robbins says literally nothing that matters, but he says it loudly, and then Funk's like, "I've had enough." of this moron right here. Yeah. <laughs> he kept, you know, Hunter Q was getting a little too physical, if you ask me, with Terry with Funk. With Terry Funk. kept pointing at him and, like, hit it, like, not, not hitting him, but, like, poking him with his... Yeah, prodding him. Yeah, with his cane or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, throw to a package here for the Sandman, the Surfer Edition. Yes. Now, you want to explain this? <laughs> before the Sandman devolved for the better yeah. into a t-shirt like Zuba's wearing, drunken cigarette smoking slob. Who had a hot chick with him and yeah. stuff, like... He, for whatever reason, his gimmick is that he was a surfer and he wore like a wetsuit and surfer sunglasses and carried a surfboard to the wrestling ring. And I don't know why that was his gimmick. What I don't get is how does Sandman go with surfer? Because there's sand on the beach. Oh, I I didn't even, I don't associate, I associate Sandman with like things falling asleep. Well, I associate it with Mr. uh, Mr. Sandman from Punch-Out!! Oh really? Well, because that's still not getting knocked out. Like, right. See? I don't know. I don't Enter associate. Sandman. I guess people don't associate Sandman with like surfing or anything. They associate it with like water fall, falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. Generally, generally, yes. Yeah. So I don't know what song was originally under this package, but I like this happy generic song, Quinn. <laughs> Though it, it, it doesn't it's really weird. like fit, they should have had like you know, like yeah, like surfer rock, yeah, like surfer rock. They literally couldn't find that in the generic bank of music, like generic surfer. I'm sure that exists, like, I'm sure you can put it in right now. Okay, I will right now. Generic surf music coming up in three, two, one. 
So, you know what's funny, Quinn? All of these clips from USWA. Yeah, so we see King, and we also see Never Drew a Dime. <laughs> He's floating around, and it's like, he, he already has the dangly pants. Oh, like, yeah, the dangly ones. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> After, like, 17 years, this video package finally freaking ends. It's very long. It's really long. It's extremely long. Yeah, and the big reveal at the end, Quinn. He's the ECW champion. Yeah, why didn't they say that at all? Like, I don't know. Like they, they, the only thing that would tell you that is the crying on at the end. <laughs> the one thing, though, Quinn, is how did he win that if he's been wrestling in USWA, apparently, this whole time? I've actually never looked this up, but was the ECW title kind of thing where, like, Rio de Janeiro was involved at the beginning? <laughs> you know, just something where, like, they just appointed the first champion rather than have a tournament for it? Yeah, except it took place at Bob's Big Boy in Southwest Philadelphia. Hi, I'm here in front of Bob's Big Boy, and today's subject is variety. Excuse me, sir. What did you have this morning? Who cares? So, anyway, we're back with Tommy Cairo who is undefeated, according to Terry Funk. Funk loves this guy. Big putting him over, yeah, right? He's talked to him. Now, Tommy Cairo, for anybody who doesn't know, his later history is yeah. that he would have a notorious feud with the Sandman yep. in 94. In 94. Where I think he like beat up his uh, Sandman's wife or Laurie something. Yeah. yeah, like and he was dating or her. Peaches, wasn't that her yeah, name? Peaches or something. <laughs> and it was like kind of this weird like distinguishing thing where like, Cairo was also a drunk and Sandman was a drunk, but like Sandman's a better drunk or he's something. He's like a moral, more morally upstanding yeah, drunk. Yeah, he's got the moral high ground in, in the drunkdom. I, I, it was really odd. Cairo thing. is like a sloppier, like evil version of Sandman for Basically, a while. Essentially, but here he's like a plucky athlete or something. You know who he looked like? He looked like Bob Bradley when he was yeah, younger. Like very like, posing. I'm in good shape and I have a crew cut the and I wear thing, tights. The first time we see him, he like poses. Yeah, like, he, he thinks he's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he's nothing. He's kind of he's more like Tommy Dreamer to start like when the Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> his opponent, though, Quinn, is wild man Sal Balomo, the medieval <laughs> barbarian version of him. Now, don't you find this just such an odd different like yes. juxtaposition compared to like what he was before? Well, because Balomo in 1982 that we watch on, you know, on Patreon, yeah. he doesn't even look like a wrestler. He has no like definition to him, yeah. no presence but to him. But they're going for more like an Olympian kind of like a like a he does gymnastics like kind of like a olympic wrestler kind of yeah, style that never right? works unless no, you're kurt angle no but it's just weird that you wouldn't even recognize no. him like he so he's got long black hair and like think bruiser brody and he's got a got big it. beard think bruiser and, brody and god i sound like jr now yeah. doing comedy it reminds me of bruiser brody honestly he does a little brody. fatter than brody as even his face is oh fatter. he's chunky but i'm saying like that's why i would say he's like uh, he's literally like a cross between luke harper and Bruiser Brody. Like, and, if, like, there was, like, an in-between of that. And a shorter version of, of either of them, and also, like, with the girth of one-man gang, but condensed. He's kind of got the body <laughs> type of Taz, but, like, fatter even. Fat Taz, basically. Yeah. He's got, like, medieval gear and armor on him. He looks so weird. <laughs> but even weirder, Quinn is his manager, <laughs> the Cosmic Commander. So, you, you want to know what this guy is? He's basically the Grand Wizard. Literally. Like, it, it's just a rip-off. And this is, again, what I'm talking about where you can tell a lot of people in this promotion were just fans of, like, probably early 80s wrestling or really, something. Well, it is Philadelphia-based, right? right? Yeah. So it's a lot I, of Northeast I, it's people. It's not, like, Hogan-style wrestling. It's, like, it's literally, like, 82. It's it's 70s, 80s, right? Yeah. Like, Ivan Putzky era, yeah. that yeah. era of wrestling, yeah, exactly. the Tony Gurria era. These are those guys. This is the generation of guys that grew up with that. That were kids in the late 70s, early 80s, right? right? And nice. they're becoming wrestlers, and this is their idea of cool wrestling. I guess so. It's a weird idea. Well, when, to be fair, that's all they have to work off because right now in the current timeline that they're in, like Hulk Hogan is a big thing and stuff, and that's not 
cool anymore, right? It's not. Yeah, right? and they no, want they want cool. they want their edgy wrestling from before Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like, the Grand Wizard, the, the gritty seventies, <laughs> like all that. The shit. dirty seventies, yeah. right? So this is round one of the TV title tournament. The referee has a very Nick Patrick esque mullet to him. Mm-hmm. Tommy Cairo, as I mentioned, thinks he's so good and he hits an arm drag. Because I noticed that Stevie Wonderful Quinn. I don't know if you caught this. His manner of speaking is very similar to Joey Styles. Tommy Cairo is undefeated since being in the ECW. Funk says now, all of a sudden, that Tommy Cairo being undefeated might not even matter because Funk's mom is also undefeated in ECW. I like how after he like yeah. he praised him, he basically kind of went to say that Cairo's garbage. Because like, yeah. like, undefeated status means nothing because nobody's had any fucking matches yet. Yeah. Like, like, and he's right. Like, he literally is right that, like, his mom's also undefeated. Like, of course she is, because there, nobody's won a freaking match yet in this company. That's a good line, Other though. than the Super Ds or whatever. <laughs> so we get a bunch of start and stop lockups stalling before Belomo finally hammers away in the corner. He's already much better as a heel. I mean, he still sucks. He's all fat, but still. Yeah, like, he this, is better. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> you have to admit this is better. This is better than, like, hi! Yeah, you know, Sal Belomo exactly. from the 80s. Arm drag by Sal. Sully calls Sal a grizzled veteran. Uh, this is really something, this match. Kyra, well, to be fair, yeah. he is. Yeah, he is. He's grizzled, that's yeah. for sure, and he is a veteran. He's become grizzled. I guess I guess all the demeaning losses to Johnny Rods <laughs> or something. Bobby Heenan. Yeah, yeah, Bobby Heenan and stuff really <laughs> so, took its toll on him. Cairo punches back, but eventually gets taken back down, and Sal goes to a very, very junky chin lock. By the way, do you think, this, this is, I'm going, I'm diverging off here, but do you think that, like, We'll eventually see the backstory of why Sal Belomo became this way. Oh, I hope so. Like, in in our viewing on the Patreon over it, there, it, I hope so. It's such a transformation between I, uh, early eighties to now. It is very like compelling for us <laughs> in a weird way that like he looks like this. How did he right? become a wild man? Yeah. What happened to yeah. him? By also, the way, this also this building. Yeah, it looks like a combination of a men's room and a high school gym. Because, and I say that because in the nicest way, of course, Quinn. The high school gym aspect, obviously, the basketball right. hoop. Yeah. But I, if you look behind the crowd, it looks like that there's like tiles or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, it does. As, right, like right. as if it's a men's room. Like there's urinals back yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. You don't even have to leave the arena to pee. It's yeah, great. You can just you know? pee on the wall. You just pee right on the wall. Very, that, very ECW arena yep. t- style vibes. Very 70s style, yeah. too. Uh, headbutts and punches by Sal, but Cairo turns it around, slugs back before eating a foot. And I don't mean the way Mel Phillips used to. Nope. That gets two. Uh, Wonderful says, Belomo's good and everything, but he's got to hook the leg, which is funny. <laughs> of course. I always like when anybody, like, Anyone. I'll give Wonderful some credit there. Anybody references hooking the leg. <laughs> yeah. Remember that, like, Vampiro in Lucha Underground? Hook, hook the, the leg, leg bro! <laughs> Every time. Yep. Johnny Hotbody now wanders out to try to help Belomo while the Ugh. commander is talking to the ref, but... This guy, Johnny Hotbody always sucked. He was there for a couple years, too, right? he always had that big bald spot <laughs> yeah. on him. Like, he's got, like, a mullet, but he's got a bald spot it, like right in the center. It's not a good choice yeah. of hairstyle. But not like a bold spot in the front like Hogan. Yeah. It's really weird looking. It's poor hair. Yeah. Uh, so he tries to uh, to help out Belomo here while the commander, you know, the fake Grand Wizard is talking to the ref. But Cairo ducks and drop kicks Belomo by mistake who gets knocked outside and winds up getting counted out, Quinn. Yep. A count out in EC Dub. There you go. How weird, right? <laughs> Very weird. And then he tries to attack Cairo, Johnny Hotbody does, but he kind of just fails and he just leaves. And like you yeah. mentioned, Quinn, his hair is terrible. Yeah, the shitty bald spot is just so annoying. <laughs> we get quick clips of the tournament brackets here. So here's what Very we got. Very helpful, by the way. I, I was yep. actually okay with this. Absolutely. So we've got Jimmy Snuka versus Larry Winters. Who? 
uh, maybe Shelly Winter's son. Yeah. Uh, Cairo will meet the winner because he just won. Okay. And then on the other side here, we got Eddie Gilbert versus J.T. Smith, who was already there. He was another one that was there forever, mm-hmm. Quinn. Remember J.T. Smith? J.T. Smith. Not, he he not, lingered on for a few years. Was he, he was a big jobber, though, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Glenn Osborne, not to be confused with Matt Osborne yeah. or Ozzy, uh, versus Johnny Hotbody, which that probably sucks. Yeah. And the, you know what's one weird thing that they keep mentioning through all this, like, seeds? Like, yeah, like, right. Like, what it, how, what Everyone is seeded into this tournament. But it's a single elimination. Who gives a shit? It doesn't like, matter. <laughs> yeah, what? Like, <laughs> it's not like you get. It's do they reshuffle the brackets no. after each round? I wouldn't think so because they're not saying that. That's the only reason you would need seeds, right? Is because like the top seed would face whoever the hot, the highest seed left is. Correct. Like, that's, that's how that. But that's not how. This I don't works. think that's what they're doing. No. So what the fucking matter? <laughs> Why do you need seeds then? I don't. We're back for a special challenge match. That's right. It's one fall, 20 minute time limit. It is Tony Hitman Stetson. Who? Now, I know who that I is. I know. He was there for a couple years. He was, he was actually uh, a tag champ later on. Good I, for him. I, I know that because he's he's like a goon for like Shane Douglas or something later. You know, I never liked him because yeah. he stole my nickname <laughs> that I got from Thomas Hitman yeah. Hearns. Uh, versus the Rock and Rebel. Why? <laughs> Anyway, Rebel is the number one contender, Quinn. What the hell? I guess they really like, they were really behind this guy for whatever reason. Both guys would be jobbers in like a year in Paul's (laughs) version of ECW. Yeah, they were both still there, but they like, didn't Rebel linger until like 95 or something? And he was terrible. Anyway, Stetson with an arm drag to start. Uh, Stallfest 93 ensues here. Get another lockup. Rebel grabs a headlock. He looks awful, Quinn, the Rebel does with his mullet, his yeah. pastel-colored tights, his big gut. I'll say this about the Rebel. Um, he I stinks. Can, I, he stinks, but I can also see why, like, he kind of, in a weird way, has a look like that you would think a company that doesn't really have much, like, he would kind of stand out amongst some of the others, I guess. What look? He just, he because he's a little put together, uh, compared to some of the jabronis we've seen so far, <laughs> I'm just trying to say, it's like, out of all these, la- the land of the misfits, he looks less shitty. He looks like the guy's friend in a Sears commercial, Quinn. That's what he, that's the look he has, okay? <laughs> a Hollywood-made Sears commercial, <laughs> though, up. like, where the guy's friend isn't actually, like, he looks decent, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Stetson regains control of the boring arm work here, and Rebel gets back up. It's a decent drop kick, snapmare, into reverse chin lock. This is not inspiring. Maybe the special challenge here is watching this and staying awake. The crowd is dead. It's like really weird. It doesn't like seem like the ECW that would become only a short year's time from now. Yeah, right. Like the crowds were like rabid. The rabid. And it's like uh, like there's regulars. Yeah. You know what what I have to say? One thing that nobody acknowledges about regulars at a wrestling show. Right. Is that you have to have a really good product for people to be a regular, like at a re- like to buy tickets to a wrestling show every single every single week or yeah. whatever it is. Like you have to be good. <laughs> That's true. It's fair. You, point. you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. That's fair. Sideslam by Rebel gets two. Stetson fights back, lands a really poor top rope leg drop. Mm-hmm. Rebel does get his foot on the ropes to break the pin and then gets three off of a flare pin in the corner with his feet on the ropes. Jay Sully unfortunately goes up to ringside to get an interview with the Rebel. Rebel calls out the Sandman and says he's going to take his title and end his career. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We go to break. We come back with Jimmy Snuka at ringside with Sully Quinn. He's got some girl that they like 
not don't really even acknowledge. <laughs> no. Like she's like in like Hawaiian gear too and everything. Like it's yeah. his manager. Yeah, Snook has just got this chick with them. Yeah, off to the side. They never acknowledge her. Right. They don't say her name. And he says he's going to introduce someone at first. And I thought, oh, the girl. Yeah, right. right. Like, <laughs> this is the hula honey or something. Like I, don't, I like I didn't know what you know what it, you know. Remember, she's like the the black top honey or whatever that. Remember with um the black top bully black had top the bullies. the hotel honey the highway yeah. honey. I yeah. don't remember what it was. Anyway. <laughs> Snooker says that he's just signed a contract and he introduces us now a contract to a contract this company. Come on. Uh, his uh, new manager apparently is Eddie Gilbert with Ugh. a proud pro wrestling illustrated shirt. I noticed. Why would anyone pick Eddie Gilbert as their manager? Well, because he's hot stuff, Quinn. But he's a man. He's a wrestler. Well, that's the well, whole does point. Does he have time for this? Well, apparently he does. Sully asked him if he's Snooker's new manager and he's like, don't ever call me a manager. But yeah, but yeah I have. Uh, yes, I am. He started a company <laughs> right. or so, Hot Stuff International yes. and all this. What? So he's like, no, I'm not his manager, but yeah, I actually you know, am his he, manager. He does say that Snooker's the first client, yes. but wouldn't he be the first client because he's also a wrestler? Well, you know what? It's not like the hair club for men. I don't know. Maybe he's not his own client. Anyway, Snooka is also wrestling tonight, not just introducing Eddie Gilbert. And he's uh, he's wrestling Larry Winters, like we mentioned. And Quinn, he's wearing pants. See, I told you. I told you this. There was something we were doing recently. Yeah. I think it was something on the One Patreon. Of the 82s. And Joe was like insistent that Snooka never wore pants. No, not in WWF. I but he did. We found I the know. picture. Yes, and yes, he's yes. wearing those same pants, by the well, way, and the same boots. Probably only had one pair of yeah, pants, okay? I'm just saying the leopard print <laughs> pants rather than the, the, the diaper or whatever. Yeah, the diaper. Yeah. Uh, Steve Allen's wife's underwear, yeah, if you will. Exactly. So, so Funk on commentary here blathers on and on about how he likes Snooka, but he'd fight him. He would beat him, whatever. Anyway, Snooka with some awe-inspiring stomps as Gilbert is very annoying on the outside. Snooka looks like shit, which is like weird because this is only three years removed from his WWF run. Yeah. Like, this is one of those things that always boggled my mind about certain wrestlers who left the WWF around this time, like 90. Early 90s, yeah. Within one to two, sometimes three years, they would look really bad. Like, to the yeah. point where you'd be confused, like, how could your body even degenerate that quickly? Right. Well, he was old, though. I, so I don't know what that, he was doing in 1990. Three but, years is not a long time. Well, to be the champion of this. To be the champion, yes, but not for your the human anatomy, let's put it that well, way. I don't know what happened with him, honestly. I know that uh, when he was still in the WF, uh, George Zahorian had not been indicted yet. Yeah. That might have something to do with why he looks like junk afterwards. It's just a possibility, I'm just saying. I'm surprised he didn't find some uh, <laughs> backdoor channels here. <laughs> he yeah. might. He might. Because it looks like it just everything just sagged down and he's just nothing anymore. It's like a poster for gravity yeah. here. Big chop by Snooka, rope choking. There's practically like nothing happening in this yep. match. It's it's like an Akeem squash from Challenge in like 89 where they're Honestly, just it's walking like, around. To me, it's more just like a typical Snooka squash from 82. And it's not good in 93 though. Yeah, well, I mean, styles so have changed. boring. Yeah. I mean, in 82, he seems impressive. Here, yeah. he seems just like, well, we've done this for right. a decade at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. nobody cares. Winters gets some token offense in, but he doesn't have knee pads on, so it ain't going to work. And yeah. The referee is a young and spry John Finnegan, I noticed yeah, there. Did, was Mala Hugh in this at the beginning, too? Did I <laughs> Jim notice Molino? him? No, Jim, I don't think yeah, okay. so. I don't think he was. I, I thought I saw him. Maybe I, maybe I just mixed up him and Finnegan. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. We get a crossbody by Winters, which gets two, followed by a drop kick, and then a big hip toss, and then a great leg drop. Larry Winters is carrying this match, so, damn it. It's more of a comeback by Larry. I'm not going to say it's good. It's good, this comeback. He, he's doing offense. Now, they, they acknowledge something that um 
apparently Winters is no pushover, and he is Stetson's tag partner, and Stetson's the number one contender. This Winters These two, and Stetson. yeah, right, right. So that's odd. That's really weird, but I never heard of Larry Winters. You know, they say ECW original. These guys were literally the yeah. ECW originals. Right, like, not like Raven, you know, yeah. who came later and all that. Yeah. I got you. Anyway, we get an Irish whip and a back body drop by Winters. Shoulder block, but Eddie Gilbert trips up Winters, and Snooka hits a crummy side backbreaker. And then he heads up for the splash. He hits a very good one halfway across the ring. Yeah, beautifully done. You know, Snooka, as old and junky as he looks, he can still hit that super fly splash. That like, was a really good one. That was an excellent super fly. Like, that's stuff we don't even see good ones like that in 82. No, like, on, seriously. On, on championship a lot. He might have been two-thirds of the way across the ring. Yeah, just, that was unbelievable. Yep, and of course it gets the win. Uh, we come back now with Funk and Jay Sully. <laughs> yeah, uh, Funk says it was a great first show, but we have some room for improvement. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that we had a great show here today. It's the first show, and I'll tell you what, I think we got some room for improvement. So as Funk's rambling on, Sal Baloma wanders back yeah. out with Cosmic. They Essentially, want, like huss huss, like he just yeah. like ah, like John Nord's his way out yeah. here, and they want another match. So he jumps in and beats up whoever the hell was in there. First yeah. of all. Why was there a guy in there if the show was ending? I, I got a second of all to that. Why was he wearing a Superman cape? Like, <laughs> I like, don't know. He was just standing there. He's like, look what? at my cape. And that's, <laughs> like, what? Who are you? What, now, what was that? Okay, like, my, my theory is this. Theorize away. Is that they probably filmed a bunch of these episodes yes, at once. No, they did. So they were just getting ready to end it. Maybe they, maybe somebody thought, hey, we can do something creative here. Right. Like Eddie Gilbert. Because he was he was known as a like a different kind of booker, too, like yeah. Paul. But he, Paul was way more creative than him. But Gilbert was like... He was he good. Was, he, he was okay. Kind of an outlaw so booker. This kind of is something that Gilbert, you could see doing, right? You think it's so? like, we'll, we'll have them think the show's ending and going to the next taping part. You know, like, what? even the crowd think that, and then like we'll do this. Fair, fair yeah. theory, Quinn. That is really yeah. doesn't explain the Superman cape, but <laughs> well, he was just a jobber. I mean, that kid was really skinny. Yeah, I know. Uh, Baloma wins with fat. I don't even know what he, he won like, with. It, it's literally like two seconds. Yeah, he long. literally fats he into walks him. in, like pushes him yep. and pins him. Yeah, literally, yeah. he just bullies him and wins. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the jobber's name Quinn was Ernesto Benefico. I don't even even know how did you find that, and why did any of this matter? <laughs> I don't know. Like it literally had no storyline benefit nothing like, yeah. it was just it's like oh he's weird or like, <laughs> he I wants guess. to win matches Sal Palomo is now a crazy person or something <laughs> I guess so uh, Funk is now with Todd Gordon shilling next week's show incorrectly he like messes up the whole TV title tournament brackets so Todd says that the Sandman will be here next week as well and Funk says this is new it's different and it's fresh and he bids us adios very Out. excited. Adios! Adios! However, we interrupt this for a special announcement. If yeah. you want a dream <laughs> match, send your postcards to Dream Match, care of ECW to 185 West Lancaster Avenue, lower level, Paoli, Pennsylvania, 19301. What's on the upper level? Parkologist yeah. office? <laughs> you know, this is this is some of that. Like It's Coliseum video-esque almost. It's not even Coliseum. It's very UWF like, fundraiser? Yeah, UWF fundraiser kind of thing. It's they're like, basically saying, if you want to book for us. Yeah, they're like... We need ideas? We don't even know what matches we should really do. So <laughs> we showed you all these, these jabronis this week. Tell us the ones you want to see fight yeah, each other. That's, they, my, like, that's what it is, right? Yeah. Which reminds me, if you go to ovppodcast.com, you can drop your suggestions on the suggestion list. True. We have an actual suggestion <laughs> list yeah. as well. Because we want to hear from you guys. It's on the internet. Too, it is. It's on the internet. Which is better than mailing it to Palo, PA, or wherever that is. <laughs> Paoli. Paoli. As Stevie Wonderful is hyping next week's show, we abruptly cut to the credits where the song that we're hearing sounds very much of a knockoff, like Long Way to the Top by ACDC. I have to look at that. Who knows what I don't know. 
that's the end of the show. You were saying, Quinn, very rough around the edges. Super rough around the ed- edges, but it was very interesting, I will say that, because when I first started, um, when I t- did my dive in ECW, which right. they only really had the 94 episodes. Yeah, I think they so, started with but, Paul in so, September. Yeah, so a lot of these guys were here still, right. but I just didn't really know much like what the background was like. The, by the time I picked it up, Belomo was a face who was like kid friendly. Yeah, we'd hand out shit to kids and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. and like Rock and Rebel was this like kind of like grungy heel, and Cairo was like already oh, that like dumpy. He was, but he was like evil Sandman. Yep. Like oh, it was bizarre. So this was an interesting glimpse into the very very early days of of televised ECW. Obviously, lots of the mainstays outside of the Sandman. I'm talking about the real mainstays, like Sandman yeah. and all those guys. It's, it's crazy to think the Sandman was like from day one. From day one. Todd Gordon, obviously, there. But none of the real familiar big names of ECW. Mm-hmm. Joey Styles wouldn't join until September, like we mentioned. Yep. Paul Heyman wasn't even there yet. Yep. That, let alone as the booker or the owner. He just wasn't even there yet. Yep. Uh, even some of the like mid-card mainstays, like 911. You know, yeah. people like that. You know, honestly, we could we can't tell if Diamond One was working as like security at this because that's literally <laughs> that's what he was. That's true. Good point. Yeah, you're right. And he could have just been in the crowd somewhere, like <laughs> you know, just making sure people didn't break in the place. Right. You know? But this was not the blood fest. This was not the extreme storytelling. It's not even Paul Heyman's ECW. This was Eastern Championship Wrestling, and I thought this was a good pick, Quinn. It was. I, I can't say the show was good. And yeah, I, I it think wasn't it, bad. Honestly, it was more educational it was more like historical yeah it's like, on to, pbs tonight actually to, check it I out i just meant historical after by, like, nova it's kind of like you know how like wrestlemania 3 they consider more of a historical show what like a lot of people consider it that because it's like a big breakthrough for wrestling like an antique car like it has yeah. antique plates on it now yeah kind of like that I, this is the same kind of thing this is like this tells you where ecw kind of came from and like, we can see it came from the uh, <laughs> the men's room yeah <laughs> i'm just saying like gym. it all started here has to start somewhere, yeah. right? And I thought that was a good pick, Quinn. Good, good job there. Good, good pick there, Michael. Yeah. And thank you, folks, as always, for picking us as your retro wrestling podcast. As we have romped through yet another week in the world of retro wrestling. Of course, next week, January twenty eighth, will be episode number one fifteen. Two more names will join the Royal Rankings. We will be reviewing something. We'll talk about a downfall. So, in the meantime, follow us on Twitter if you haven't yet at OVP Podcast. You can also email us, of course, or join the group if you have a Facebook. And if you want to donate, and only if you want to, head on over to patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Check out the rewards tiers there. And if you have Apple Podcasts or iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. But until next time, I am Joe Murata. That is the Rock and Rebel himself, Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya. We interrupt this telecast of Eastern Championship Wrestling. Thanks for tuning in to our premiere edition of Eastern Championship Wrestling. We want to hear from you, the fans of ECW. If there is a certain matchup you would like to see here on Eastern Championship Wrestling, send your cards or letters with your questions or comments to Dream Match, care of ECW 185 West, Lancaster Avenue, lower level, Paoli, Pennsylvania, 19. 19- 301. Banana hatches, here, here we, we come! come.